Howdy gamers, and welcome to the wet, damp mud of this podcast recording. Today, I, Renata, will be your faithful host for this Norco spoiler cast. Joining me is the Sediment King of Podcasts about Homestuck and Stephen King, professor and frequent Waypoint contributor, Cameron Kunzeman. Hello, Cam. Hello. Not not a professor, by the way. Are you not a professor? I'm not a professor. I wow. thought you were a... No, I thought no. You... Did I, I fuck sure that up? Knows. He, he I can re- I can correct this. Are you, you are you No, 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 no. I'm just getting out ahead of it. Maybe other people think that too. I, we're going to use your your error as a what moment for fuck? education. I know. No way. I'm not. I'm just an academic. You're just, just some, an academic. Just fuck some measly me. academic, yeah. Well, here we are. Do you teach though? <laughs> God fuck. I do, I do. Wait. I do teach. I feel like uh, that's close enough for actually most people, right? Uh-huh. This Even is, though that I means stand... academically a specific thing. Right, right, right. See, that's what we're getting into. We're getting to the nitty. This is yeah. what I came on to talk about. This is my <laughs> stealth, uh, academic uh, bullshit uh, launch, soft launch podcast. Actually, uh, wait. Uh-huh. I've, I have had professors who who did not have PhDs call themselves professors because they were lecturers. You can do that. That's okay. <laughs> Weirdly enough, you don't have to have a PhD to be a professor. But just because you have a PhD and you teach doesn't mean it, right? A professor is like a title yeah. that gets Damn. put on people, right? Damn. It's like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Do what you have to? Does it- like a uh, red mage, uh, <laughs> white mage. Like a <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of wizard are you? <laughs> right, right. Right. I'm, well, I'm trying to figure out what the youth. What, how would how would the youth, uh, right. you know, relate to what I'm saying? Exactly, uh, exactly. It's I like apologize. when you equip a specific gun in Fortnite, then you become that it's, gun. It's I guess. Just I like don't know. <laughs> yep. It's Academic a, red mage and frequent waypoint right. contributor Cameron Kunzelman. Right there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Through that. <laughs> uh, also joining us is Waypoint's own producer, Ricardo Contreras, who will so delicately guide this audio file through the dark waters of Adobe Audition. Yeah, it's it's happening right now as we speak. I can see the, you know, ripples of our, uh, you know, there was, I was, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Good energy brought to this podcast. Me fucking up Cam's title. Ricardo just being like, I, I give up on this bit early. Mm hmm. Ripples, sound waves, sound, you know, waves, water, <laughs> bayou, you know, fucked mm-hmm. up shit in the bayou. Um, but <laughs> I love stream of consciousness. I, this I, is just like Norco. <laughs> exactly. I stayed up late uh, playing this game and then fell asleep during a scene and then woke up and finished this game this morning. <laughs> Whoa. Fell asleep yeah. mid scene. Wow. Yeah. What scene did you fall asleep in the midst of? I was I was diving into the waters, you know, one of those dreamlike oh, yeah. sequences. Uh in it <laughs> uh it was just very late. I ha- have had a couple busy weeks and thought I'd be done with Norco way before Sunday and that didn't end up happening. <laughs> yep. Uh but still very excited to talk about it's having finished it like 30 minutes ago <laughs> yeah i mean this is the norco spoiler cast so i'm going to assume the audience has some level of familiarity but if you do not let us quickly uh go over what norco is norco is a point and click adventure game released by geography of robots uh last month that takes place in norco louisiana and follows the story of Kay, uh, a young woman returning to her hometown after years and years away 
as she investigates uh, her mother's recent death and also tries to track down her brother who has gone missing. And then follows Kay and her mother Catherine as the two of them kind of go and adventure over the course of a few days uh, through this region and slowly uncover a vast conspiracy or maybe not very vast conspiracy, an extremely hyper-local conspiracy uh, and local phenomena that are deeply, deeply strange. Um, and so that's just like a broad overview of of what Norco is. I'm curious, how did everyone feel about the video game Norco? Uh, Kato, I feel like you uh, you have the freshest yeah. uh, uh, opinions here. What, what, I'm going to kick to you. I'm going to make you answer I, this question. I'm still, that's a part, that's my, my problem was, uh, I'm still, I feel like I'm still processing some things and I'm like not a hundred percent sure because I'm like still caught on trying to parse some bits of how it ended. Uh, mm-hmm. I think overall though, um, like the game hooked me from, from like the very early on, just from simple things like the art style and the sound design, which are stellar. Um, and then, you know, quickly uh, played its other trump card with its very, uh, uh, very good writing um, in in a moment that uh, Ren shouted out on the podcast, on the regular non-Waypoint Plus podcast uh, this week, or last week, by the time the listeners listening to this, um, uh, where... You're looking at your home as as the main character and uh, remembering three floods that have occurred. And then after you've seen all three floods, uh, there's a, a fourth option appears and it's uh, uh, it, t- it talks about a future flood. Um, and it was just like, all right, this is my shit. I, like it, it leans into like moments, these these like small moments of. I guess magical realism is a way you can describe it. Um, it doesn't feel quite right given the sci-fi nature of the world, but something about the way it introduces those moments of kind of, I mean, I guess it's, it's most, it's actually more related to religion in this game than like uh, other magical realism where it's like a, a, a kind of space of, um, uh, sort of local folk like beliefs, but mm-hmm. it kind of treats Christ- like to me, it, it felt like this game kind of treated uh, Christianity as a local folk belief to some degree. Like it really leaned on the kind of structural ways that magical realism is like brought about and like the ways that people in that world just kind of believe and r- move through the world with that belief being like centered in their actions through their lives, you know? So yeah, I think like the hyperlocality of this game's idea of what Christianity is about community is actually right. the developer touches on this in an interview with Polygon, um, where uh, one of the devs, uh, I believe it's Yutz, talks through, um, uh, the game's lead writer and coder, uh, talks through their basically thoughts on on faith as a whole, because this game touches on faith a lot. And one of the things they talk about is the ways in which even of organized faith like Christianity creates local community connections and is a local thing in its like actual manifestation. Right. And so part of leaving the town is also leaving that faith and having to like come back and re-navigate that abandoned faith and that like 
social structures that you've left behind is like one of like the key things that's happening here. And it's absolutely excellent. Um, Kim, you wrote a piece for the site um, Mm -hmm. that was very, very excellent and that people should read. It will be linked in the description. Um, What were your what were your thoughts on the game overall? Uh, Game good. Uh, (laughs) Game good. Video game good. Game fun. Video game can be good? uh, Game. Short. Short great. Short great. Short great. great. Can be Um, good. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I've become like some weirdo uh, who believes that like the pinnacle of the form of the video game might be like the six hour point and click adventure game. Um, I, you know, I've always been a huge fan, uh, you know, and I've, I've shouted this out a million times in a million places, but, um, Primordia, right. Which is an AGS game that, that was made a, a while back or now, like maybe 10 years ago. Now I, I did a interview over on game developer, like a really long interview as part of these interviews that, um, I've been doing with science fiction game creators with Marky Hollum, who was the writer for this that game. Gorgeous. It's great. So it's one of the best games ever made. Uh, no, no qualifications to that statement. Um, and uh, so I've been thinking really heavily. I, I say that to say, I, you know, I really like that game. And when I started playing Norco, I had this this thing of like, oh, this is like Primordia. Um, and not in a reductive way, but like uh, that game does such a good job of giving you this like little science fiction world. And it's set in the far future. Like, you know, it's very much post-human in the sense that humans are extinguished from the earth. And it's just robots. And it's robots trying to deal with, like, a faith about humans, but they don't know what humans are. Mm. Um, And so, you know, the main character is this kind of uh, religious pilgrim, kind of, and he's trying to figure out how he fits into this uh, this world. And what I thought was really interesting about Norco, which is not to reduce Norco to this other game in any kind of way, but that that what, what makes Norco and a game like Primordia unique in, like, the field of video games is just like you were talking about Kato, right? Like it takes these, uh, hu- like emotional cultural formations seriously and does not try to like crowd out the world with game mechanics. Um, and just let stories be told about these things. Right. And game mechanics very much are the thing that kind of drive the bus and that they move things along and make sure that we, um, have the, the kind of contours of a video game experience, but it is not a game that is overly concerned with being gamey. Um, I think that a lot of narrative-driven games, and I'm a huge fan of narrative-driven games, and I've written uh, a lot of words about them, not more than anyone else, but a lot more than many other people. I can say that very confidently. Um, and what I can say is that uh, that often the, the problem with a heavily narrative-driven game uh, is that people who are making it or people doing feedback... Um, start to be concerned that there's not enough stuff to do. Um, and I think that the point-and-click adventure game kind of genre or lineage or diagram or whatever you want to call it, uh, it, it is comfortable with a certain level of just narrative exploration and exposition and uh, playing around in that space. And then uh, very comfortable saying, all right, here's a little gamey part for you to do, right? So in Norco, Norco has these like really beautiful moments of narrative transition and kind of cultural uh, reflection and just telling these little stories like the flood thing that you're talking about. Right. And it, in it, in that conversation is so great because it hinges on the mechanic of the conversation tree, right? right? Like you exhaust a conversation tree like you would in a, in a mass effect or anything like that. Right. And then, but what the payoff for that is not like you got 10 points of like, 
bro juice to hang out with millions <laughs> or whatever, right? Uh, the uh, the payoff for that's like a, a, the this kind of development of the narrative world, uh, this additional kind of piece, and and that's I think a that's a thing that adventure games uh, have been doing for a while, but that's a thing where I really think that Disco Elysium, because uh, it's, it's hard to talk about this game, I think, without yeah. thinking about the relationship between it and Disco Elysium. I think Disco Elysium broke some barriers in some ways in saying that, oh, there will be an audience of people who are very engaged uh, simply by using game mechanics as a way of delivering uh, innovative or interesting narrative kind of components to them. So that that's all to say. Uh, I, I think what's really cool about Norco is that it, it is a game that doesn't make the game get in in the way. And mm-hmm. my hope is that uh, because oftentimes in these kind of games, the game part gets in the way. Right. Um, and my key hope here is that just like I think a lot of people looked at Disco Elysium and learned a lot of good lessons about what an audience of game players might be interested in in a game, that it's not just about, you know, particular kinds of stuff that they um, have been interested in, in the past. My hope is that more people will look at Norco and say, oh, well, maybe we can push that even farther. Because I do think that that Norco pushes it even further uh, mm-hmm. in good and in great ways. So that's a long monologue about what I thought was uh, what's so interesting about it. And for like a more in-detailed thing, you can obviously read the piece uh, that I wrote. And uh, to, quick follow-up question on something you said in there. What what bro point score did you finish the game with? I just wanted to check on everyone's bro point scores oh, real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, it was, of course, 69. Nice. Nice. Wow. Nice. Nice. Let's go. Kato? Uh, one for one wet monkey that I didn't give to anyone. Carried that thing all the way through. (laughs) I also, I also did not give the wet monkey away. That was my wet monkey, goddamn. I actually don't think it was my wet monkey. No, Um, that's actually, I believe, Bruce's wet monkey. I think it's somebody else's wet monkey. Did you recover that monkey? Yeah. I lost the monkey. I lost. Well, yeah, so you lose the monkey, but then you can get it back. You oh. find a monkey in the depths of the bayou. It's uh, the monkey. I think it's the monkey. No, th- there's two monkeys in this game because yeah. Bruce also has a monkey. Bruce's dad talks about his stuffed monkey when Catherine are talking mm-hmm. about yeah. Bruce and Kay. Yeah. Um. It's it's okay. Real quick, I just threw out a bunch of names here. Let's let's really quickly go over the actual plot details of the video game Norco, which get a little bit messy in the final act, but for the most part are are pretty direct. Norco follows Kay. Kay gets back to her hometown and starts looking for her brother, Blake, after her mother has died. You then spend time looking for Blake. Your robot friend, Million, uh, friend. joins you. Friend, quote-unquote. God, the fucking the shit with Million is so sad. Yeah. Um, uh, your f- uh, robot friend Million joins you as you search town for your brother. You meet a cast of uh, fun characters, uh, and then right as you begin investigate, like the the shape of a mystery begins to appear before you. The game's perspective cuts uh, over to your mother Catherine as she stores her memories in what's called a head drive that she then uh, is basically like going to pass on to you to be like, this is a collection of my memories. So you can talk to a version of me after I'm gone. Uh, And you, the game opens with this process of selecting which memories you get to pass on, which is like one, a fucking stellar way to introduce a character and like an incredible point of characterization because being able to determine what memories you do and don't pass on is one sick as shit. Uh, And Two, so sad. Oh my, oh my yeah. god. This game is a fucking bummer. Did, a joyous bummer. 
A did, funny bummer, but a bummer. Did y'all delete anything? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kept, deleted one I, memory. I, I, I kept everything. I was like... This... this. I don't know, maybe it's just like a personal thing. I was like, it, it, it sucks, but like, it would suck to lose it too. I don't know. Um, but I was wondering whether or not it like... I don't know, demonstrably changed anything after the fact or... Um, like what happens when you do delete one? <laughs> it it I, does. It, well, it changes the cover because you can talk to the construct later in the game. Right. And it, when you ask questions about the people who are in those memories, right. it just won't know. Right. right. And it, it, it very much has this kind of melancholy tone to yeah. it, uh, yeah. you know, that you're talking about. I, I definitely want to talk about that at some point. This, you know, whatever melancholy realism that's going on in video <laughs> games right now. I'm, I, I'm very curious about what y'all think about that but anyway sorry we're in, i think we're in the middle of a plot summary still we we are but i would like to take a quick detour because i'm really curious cam which memories did you delete oh i think i d- deleted the memory of blue yes that is also what right. i got rid it was not the memory of him but the memory did. of the night yeah. it was the yeah. night where she said goodbye and i kept him staring out the window because in that moment so oh, this game's so beautifully written there's a moment where you can get rid of the actual divorce conversation but you can keep a memory of Blue standing by the window where Catherine looks at him and is like, this man is like, am I in love with him? No. But is this man in some way beautiful in this moment? And is this a a important moment of my life with him? Yes. Uh, And I chose to keep that one, even if I got rid of the actual conversation about the divorce. But Catherine then starts working for a app uh, to get a cryptocurrency called QuackCoin. Uh, and Quackcoin uh, is acquired <laughs> by completing little tasks for a AI system called Superduck, which is based off of the versioned consciousness of her friend Duck, who has gained sentience and is now spread like a virus through not only the internet and through like the local network, but also through the biological networks of the region and has become basically an embodiment of Norco, Louisiana itself is this like weird flesh monster uh, made of wire and sinew. And so uh, as you begin doing tasks for uh, Super Duck, you are then told that you are going to look for a fucked up little orb. Uh, This fucked up little orb is something that Catherine found in the lake a little bit previously um, while she was investigating a structure being built in the middle of nowhere. Eventually you find the orb, you give it to Super Duck. Super Duck eats the orb because he's a he's a real fucked up guy. Uh, <laughs> but as you journey, you come into contact with the Garretts, who are a group of young men who have kind of banded together in this fucked up little cult uh, following the preaching of J- John Kenner John. Yes, Kenner John. Uh, Kenner John, their prophet, who kind of built this little cult around a very particular version of Christianity that sees them going to the stars. Uh, and it's basically like this cast off cult for people who feel um, excluded by the local punk scene, by hipsters, basically all the grimiest, dirtiest boys who no one wants to hang out with uh, all join the um, the Garrett's. Uh, they give up their names and become Garrett's, except for poor Goonch. Except for the one poor Garrett. Goonch, <laughs> the original Garrett, is, is denied his title. Um, at this point, uh, you also are introduced to a character called the Ditch Man, 
Um, he's introduced a little bit earlier, but this is where you get to know him more. Ditchman has been following Catherine and her family as Papa for most of her life and claims that she has a holy lineage uh, as the one of the few descendants of Jesus Christ himself uh, and that she is going to kind of usher in a new era where she will leave the planet. Uh, the game builds uh, to a conspiracy involving this fucked up orb and the local power plant uh, the Shield uh, Power, oh God, what is the Shield Power Company? I'm trying to remember the the exact title. Shield Oil Refinery. Um, and you break into the oil fi- refinery, you find your dead mother's shit, uh, and then you uh, continue on to then go find your brother who has been kidnapped by the Garrets before they launch a spaceship uh, into the sky after Papa has taken control, uh, the ditch man. Uh, has taken control of the Garrets and is now organizing them to his own grim desires. Uh, those grim desires being launching your mother's corpse, your brother, and you into space. Yep. Did I miss anything? There's a lot to go over. Uh, I'll no, pet that I mean, cat. I yes. did pet that cat. I pet it right through the roof. Right through the roof, yeah. <laughs> I, I pet the cat four times. And then I looked at that cat and I was like, something bad's going to happen to that cat. I'm not petting the cat again. <laughs> and then I walked out of that fucking room. The cat probably made it to the stars, honestly. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait. I have an important question. Mm. Did y'all not see the cat for the rest of the game? No. Hmm. Does it show up again? The cat is in a bunch of scenes. No, it isn't. False. For- it's- what? <laughs> For me, there was a cat not doing, you couldn't interact with it, but the cat was physically there. It was 100% that cat because it's established that Crouton is everywhere because um, basically you meet this cat in this bookshop called Sarpy Books. You go in, you meet this cat, you can pet the cat five times. If you pet the cat five times, it launches off. Catherine also comes into contact with the cat. Okay. It's in... uh, Oh, yeah. No, she was... She was there in the past, but I didn't see it in in the future, in Kay's timeline. I didn't so see it going, at all. <laughs> yeah. I didn't launch the cat. Going forward, there were a bunch of scenes where Crouton was, uh, the Crouton, like, sprite was obviously in the scene. Oh, kind yeah. of just, just sitting watching. on the floor. Yes. Just watching people. Uh, Crouton was with the um, Unit B investigators. Uh, in the fishing, uh, like place, mm. Crouton was there. The fishing camp, yeah. Yes, um, Crouton was. <laughs> oh God, I think he was at the mall. I think I, I remember vaguely remember seeing Crouton at the mall. I, I don't remember every single place that Crouton was, but I definitely saw Crouton more places than just Sarpy Books and that one. Uh, uh, the duck shop. Did you so did you never get the little the crouton phone case? I am Is familiar that, with the fruit the crouton phone case. Okay, yeah. Uh but I did not have it, no, for my playthrough. I did not have it, but I did see Crouton just kind of hanging out, out. Just always there. Which was mm. um interesting and unsettling. Like most of the <laughs> video game Norco, I found it to be deeply interesting and unsettling. Hmm. Yeah, I don't uh I you, you know, this is a tangent. I don't care for this phone case thing. Yeah. In general. I don't don't like these mechanics in games. These like little small aesthetic maneuvers of like a collectible that you can go and do. I just don't care for it. 
Anytime, anytime I got a phone case, I thought, oh my God, what is this? Mm-hmm. What could be happening? Then I thought, ah, oh, it's just a phone case. It was not for me. I need, I need a deep lore description if you're going to make me like pick something up. <laughs> I want to be able to read it and I want to be able to find out about like petroleum processing or but, oil spills. Give me something. But what does the like, Gator phone case mean? <laughs> I like right. the Gator phone. Right. I'll be honest. I, like I did like case, the yeah. Gator phone case. Well, because I love the Gator scene like as a whole. Like that is such yeah. a brilliant. We were talking about the blending of uh, the way this game blends mechanics and mm-hmm. narrative before. There is an early scene in the video game in which you basically the first time you're with Catherine, you can watch a shadow puppet show uh, and it introduces the game's like boat driving mechanic. Um through having you play out the narrative uh, of this shadow puppet show. And it is brilliantly told. It's like, a, it's like very well-written. Uh, basically tells the story of this gator who wants to get revenge uh, on the fisher who killed her daughter as the fisher wants to get revenge on the gator who killed her son. Sorry, who's, who killed his son. Uh, and then basically you play as uh, this intermediary who chooses which one to kill. Um, now I'm curious, who did you murder? Oh, I murdered, murdered that alligator. Oh, you killed the gator? Rip to the... Wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, what did the fisherman do after you, after uh, you murdered the gator? You know, I don't, I don't remember, weirdly enough. I mean, it's been a minute. It's been, you know, whatever, two weeks. I played this during the review period. So it's been a minute yeah. since I played the game. I don't remember. I do remember this kind of, again, this kind of melancholy tone afterward, though, of like, dang, you really did that? <laughs> like like the game the game is very much like i don't know if you <laughs> like maybe you made the wrong choice here bud uh i did remember that this kind of soft shaming going on which i which i thought was interesting um you know very similar to what the two of you just <laughs> did of <laughs> oh really you, you really killed the cater uh but no i thought the whole segment was really cool i i i really think that these kind of um kind of KRZ style, especially like KRZ Act 1 style things. Mm-hmm. And you're like wandering around a little bit and you get these little kind of pieces of narrative world. Um, I think th- those are all really cool and I'm really glad they didn't overdo it because I think we get we get two kind of exploratory sections and then the and then the house, right? Those are oh the three. God, the well, I guess there's house. there are four kind of like little things because there's the boss rush essentially at the end, which is its own yeah. kind of mechanical um, <laughs> offshoot yeah. that happens uh, in this like you know whatever surreal space. Um, but I, I really like that, and I like that they didn't overdo that. That you know this is heavily a conversationally based and kind of puzzly game, and then occasionally we get these like little flourishes of completely other design, mm-hmm. you know, almost or- orthogonal design ideas. Um, mm-hmm. That you know these these walk around segments or whatever, very great. Uh, if you if you kill the hunter, um, the gator then kills you. Mm. Uh, because it refuses to be the gators. The gators promises if you kill it, if you kill the man and bring him his head, the gator will let you walk it like a dog again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the gator does not let you walk it like a dog again. It's <laughs> no. basically like you should not have. You fucking idiot. You are never doing this again. I have gotten revenge for my child, and no one is ever fucking with me for the rest of eternity. Uh, and then eats you. Um, and someone starts a haunted bayou ghost tour, world's most mm-hmm. dangerous bayou. <laughs> It's great. So Did you good. go back to where the shadow puppet show was later? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk to uh, the talk to the woman. Right. I, so I think that like that's what sets Norco off. I think from like other games mm-hmm. in a general sense, right? So what happens is like this is under an overpass, and you like you see this thing, and it's really 
um, surrealistically done, I would say. So, like, we see the curtain go up and down, and the curtain has these eyes on it in a way that, like, wouldn't make sense in a physical world, right? It very much is leaning into the kind of flatness of pixel art and what you can do there to to do something visually very different from other games or from, like, any real space. So all this happens that you we have this kind of, like, exploratory segment you're talking about, this story about the, um, the fisherman and the alligator, all that. And then it's done, and you, like, go and do other stuff. And then much later, you can come back to the same location, and there's this, like, unhoused woman. Yeah, you know, there's all these tents, and she's there, and she's like, yeah, these fucking hipsters show up, and they do this goddamn shadow show, and I hate it. <laughs> like, we live here. What are they doing? And I thought that that was a really kind of, I, you know, I there's this undermining or self-critical moment there of, like, yes, like, there are these moments of beauty here, but it's also, like, a beauty that's afforded over the displacement of people who perhaps don't deserve to be displaced yet again, you know, mm-hmm. in this entire social system right. of, of a thing. And that to me was the end of the story for, you know, this kind of like fairy tale allegory, whatever, you know, the ends and, you know, Kado, as you're saying, gross commercialism, right? <laughs> yeah. Like at the, at the end of this beautiful fairy tale, they made a, they made a ghost tour, right? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the ghost tour, at the end of all the, the kind of storytelling mechanisms here, there's the brunt reality that to be told this story, there's a human cost to it. And it's the mm-hmm. people who are already disenfranchised and harmed in a lot of different ways were displaced yet again so that we can enjoy it. We can eat a hot dog and like sit underneath the overpass and like do the thing. That to me is the end of that story. And, and that's something that I think is yeah. very special about Norco. I don't think everyone would take it all the way there. I, I think that... The- this is one of the most unabashedly empathetic games that I have played in the last few years. Um, it is, there are moments of deep empathy in games like Disco Elysium. That's why I love it. Uh, is that Disco Elysium kind of, eventually, if you can choose, that's the key thing, is that in Disco Elysium you have to choose to center empathy and care. Um, mm-hmm. Norco, Norco's narrative voice does not offer you that choice because it chooses to treat its characters with, I think, enough empathy and care that it's kind of hard to leave the experience not feeling that to some degree. Yeah, it's not a power fantasy, yeah, right? Yeah. Like Disco Elysium, for all of its like ways that it bucks a lot of trends, at the end of the day, it, it follows some very basic kind of RPG power fantasy stuff, right? You're a human being. You have a past. You can't do much about some of that stuff, but a lot of it you can determine on your own, right? It's a highly, I mean... Part of the reason, and, and you know, uh, it, you, you've written about this a lot, right? But part of the power of it is the the capability to to transform it and and make the thing speak the language you want it to mm-hmm. in some ways, right? Yeah. Um, you can power game Disco Elysium to, <laughs> you, you know, you can rush empathy if you want right. to, right? Which is like a wild thing to say, right? But it's very video gamey in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but, uh, but that's not the case as you're saying, you know, with Norco, right. That, that it is, uh, in some way, in a lot of ways, you can't rush anything with Norco, right. There are a lot of big roadblocks in the way, um, that, and it says, Hey, you, you, you have to sit with these people and you have to sit kind of with the consequences of your actions and other people's actions too. Um, and you, and Disco Elysium, you know, happens in such a kind of compressed time and space that there's not a lot of consequences for a lot of things, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the big end of that game is like, oh, I guess, God, this dude's going to have to live the rest of his life, right? Like, uh-oh, glad I don't have to be around for that. <laughs> uh, where, whereas for Norco, it's like, oh, shit, like every single day is the end of someone's life, right? Or is the end of some consequences of someone's choices and the kind of bifurcated timelines of 
your mother and then you gives you some of that, right? You get to see some of it. But also in the game, you know, that you get to pretty immediately see the consequences of your actions and not in a do I punch the reporter uh, kind of way, but in a, you know, oh, uh, this I hurt this person's feelings and that's bad. Or yeah. I stole this person's dog and they didn't like it. Um, so, yeah. I think the part of the strength comes from that sequence that Kadwa and I talked about earlier, the fourth flood. I think that mm. uh, the game makes a lot of room for itself, like from a structural and like plot standpoint, by mm. beginning with a conclusion, right? By by putting a end point, uh, putting a bookend on the history of this particular area and your character's relationship to it, right? Your character is fundamentally tied to the house they have here, um, mm. as is pretty clearly demonstrated at the end of the video game and one of the best written sequences that I've like seen in years. Um, but there is an there is a set end point to this video game and a set end point for this region that is there. And that means that you can do a lot more with that narrative space in terms of building those direct consequences and like building out those relationships over time. It's why I didn't pet the cat. It's because I was like, something bad's going to happen to this cat and this woman's going to be sad. And I went back to check on her relatively frequently and like to just check in to see how she was doing. And like, that felt neat to like be able to like check in with that character and be like, what's good? Cat's still vibrating. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and that immediate sense of consequences is really great. Cam, you mentioned that characters die in this video. How do you feel about the way this game handles like death and violence? I'm, I'm really curious about that. Um, well, I, you know, I, I don't, there is a, tone I'm trying to think of the best way to put this there's a tone that uh, especially post disco elysium and i'm not trying to bring this up like repeatedly for a reason no, but i think fair. that that you know there is a sea change that we are seeing in and the aesthetic dimensions of video games mm -hmm. especially commercial video games over the past two three years right uh, there is something happening and it has to do with the rise of places or you know publishers like raw fury publishers like um annapurna um, and I would say that the, you know, in, in my most negative critical mode, I would say, uh, the biggest, broadest feelings of the art film have finally come to video games, right? Like that would be <laughs> like my, the negative form of, of putting it. And I don't mean that in a super negative way, but in the sense of like, you know, just the unvarnished, uh, realist depression of like, you know, the, the starkest Jim Jarmusch films or like, a you know, the midtones of a Lars von Trier film, right? Like mm -hmm. those, those have a type and form or like a Hanukkah film. Those, those have a type and form and a kind of melancholy to them where it's like, Hey, this is the human condition, bro. It sucks. You ever thought about how bad it is to be alive? Dang. There's no, there's moments of hope and glory, but really we're alive and that's a bummer, right? Uh, it, it's a familiar tone in like art cinema over the past, you know, whatever, 40 years. And, uh, you know, Disco Elysium, I think, you know, in, in a way that I uh, w remained very celebratory of parts of that game and, and kind of resolutely critical of, of other parts of that game. I, I think that I think it's undeniable about it is like there is a form and framework to the way it does. It's kind of mel melancholy realism, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm thinking here about like Kuno's father or I'm thinking here about these moments that are in that game that are like this one, uh, like the flood example you're talking about where it's like. Yeah, and then the pale will eat all this, right? Like, oh, there's this kind of 
finitude to the human experience here. And isn't it glorious to be alive in these moments, right? Which is true, but also in some ways, you know, part of the genre or a little bit pat. Um, and so I, I think that Norco, by being willing to engage in different character types around kind of melancholy, I think that's the best way of putting it, maybe. It, it has different character types of melancholy that that soften that for me a little bit. You know, in the, the most grandiose moments of Disco Elysium, even in the moments where I was enjoying those a lot, sometimes it was a little eye-rolly for me of like, all right, this is like up to 11 and I would have been happy at 10 for Norco, so when we meet Duck, for example, right? And oh. The two kinds of times we meet Duck, right? Duck is a character type. Yeah. Like, Duck is a tried and true art cinema character type. A man whose uh, social condition and life have have beaten him, you know, uh, brutally over the time. He is, he's, maybe he has, he's got cancer, right? Something, yes. it's a little, it's a little unclear yes. about like the full nature of his whole consort of um health issues right but but he is disabled right in a very uh, you know explicit way he's got the um uh like the oxygen tank um you know going and you know he's very much this character of like you go and talk to him and you get this kind of um melancholy looking back ah the choices i've made but i wanted to stay with my home right i wanted to keep my because this place is me right um and so that's all to say right like i think that it plays in a uh, it plays in a sandbox I find very familiar, and in my least charitable moments, I think oh, I've seen this fifteen hundred times before in lots of different um, uh, forms. However, I think the power of it is that you don't stick with any of these things that I find a little bit rough around the ed- edges. You don't stick with them for very long, and they are iconic in a way, right? Mm. They this person stands in for Duck stands in for everyone who made a bad decision that they regret. Right. right. Duck stands in for someone who has held on to their relationship to space and place, even if they um, ultimately know that that was a bad, quote unquote, decision. Right. Um, because I, he's not regretful of it. Right. But he knows what he the price he paid to make that choice. Um, and so. So, yeah. So. So, you know, your initial question was, how do I feel about like the way it plays out for these consequences or people dying or like the, you know, the decisions that people make that end up. Um, being objectively bad for them, right? Um, but that they make with that knowledge. I'm thinking here about the the cult members, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them know what they're up to, right? Mm-hmm. They're not they they are not ideologically, you know, hoodwinked here. They know what's going on. And uh, so what I like here is that that Norco uh, gives you these people. It gives you their kind of reflective nature on the social condition that they live in. And then you stick with them for a little while to hear that play out over one or two conversations, and then they go away. Um, there's some really interesting kind of iconicity to that, that, that they're singular figures for it. And it feels very much to me, I mean, to go all the way back to the beginning, uh, what you were talking about, uh, Kato, it feels very much almost the lives of the saints style, right? right. Like, here, here, here's a figure, here's what they did, <laughs> here's the little story you get about them, and then they kind of recede into the background, and you can think about them in, in you know, the context of other people in the way that you would a saint. But, you know, it's not, we don't, I mean, I guess there are these things, but we don't think about, like, St. Christopher and the 15 lore volumes, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's the one not story how, associated, right. one or two, well, three, whatever, however many miracles yeah. you hit, you know? <laughs> Right, right, right. You know, it's this kind of like small thing. And so I yeah. think that's another way that that kind of storytelling method gets folded in. So I don't know. That was a big wide ranging answer to the question that you asked. But 
uh, th- I guess my full answer is I think that's great. And I yeah. think Norco does a good job. I, I also would say that Norco does a pretty excellent job of handling the way that I was actually thinking the thing I was thinking about here is something I said uh, last week. Norco mm-hmm. feels like an like we were discussing on the podcast whether Norco is an epic. But like I feel like mm-hmm. Norco is an epic in the most traditional sense. And that it is like dealing with these monolithic, iconic character, not monolithic, but like Mm -hmm. iconic characters and playing with them in this particular landscape and putting them in a particular like narrative and hyper local context and and acting to them with the kind of grandiosity, empathy and also humor that I would like come to expect of like a traditional like epic narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think Kato. I was really curious um, if you had any thoughts about like both the game's tone and also like how it approaches um, like death and violence. Well, I mean, to that point, actually, I was wondering whether or not y'all punched the guy outside the Troy. <laughs> yeah, did y'all? Yeah, that's also what I was thinking of because Troy is one of these like deeply iconic, icon- mm-hmm. iconographic characters who is like you meet him, you have one conversation with him, he's a piece of shit. Um, but a piece of shit who is like inextricably tied to the place in which you live uh, and as an asshole who you have known your entire life. And there comes an intimacy with that that is like extremely well like orchestrated through the dialogue. We have the option to go find him some pills uh, to give him or just beat the shit out of him uh, and get him out of your way as he guards the convenience store he used to work at before the position was uh, replaced by a robot. Did anyone punch him? Yeah, I definitely punched. punched. <laughs> I was just, you know, I, yeah. was, I was playing. It was the beginning of the game. I didn't really know what the tone was. Sure, yet. strike breaker. Uh, you know, I was radically open to strike it. Strike breaker. Yeah, uh, you got that little yeah. Chivo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I have to. Uh, this is also part it, of it too. Cameron. Is like, like I knew that. Yes, of course, I always do it for the Chivo. <laughs> but the. Uh, like I, I had a vibe for like what Norco was back when Norco got announced, and you know, uh, you know, won the prize at Tribeca and all that kind of stuff. And I very purposely remained radically ignorant about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was like, oh, this is a game. It looks cool. I'm not going to like read anything, any interviews or anything about it. You know, I try to, I, I want to encounter the thing and not a bunch of trailers or something like that. Right. Right. Um, which you know, a million years ago, um. When when Austin uh, was editing uh, me still regularly, so you know this guy to be along like three years ago or something. Uh, there was a, one point where he was like, uh, "You know, you write about you write about the trailers for these games really often." I was like, "Well, yeah, it's part of the game experience, right? Like the way that the thing gets positioned is the thing." And right. So, um, you know, I've definitely gone back and checked those things out and seen you know the way it marketed itself and thought itself as kind of a product. Um, but, but when I played it, I was like, I don't know, maybe I should punch this guy. Why not? But I got a lot of empathy. But I think you're right, right? You know, uh, there's this huge amount of empathy for him uh, because it's like, damn, dude got, dude got, uh, got automated out. Yeah. 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 And it sucks. And I would also, you know, be on pills hanging out and raving at people uh, if that happened to me. Um, And there's also a kind of like very specific groundedness. You know, this is not something I wrote about in the piece, but something I really appreciate about. Norco is that uh, you know I'm not from Louisiana I'm from Georgia but very similar kind of southern vibe in some mm-hmm. ways you know there there's a cross communication um <laughs> my cousin one time was going to buy cigarettes at a gas station and got mugged uh by a dude with a stick um so uh you know that's the level of like ways you get accosted yeah mm-hmm. uh outside of, like a rural store 
Uh, yep. And so I, when I saw that guy, you know, and he was like, hey, don't go in there. I was like, oh, my God, this is just like Jeff getting getting accosted got, with that stick guy that time. I got punched in the face once for not answering someone fast enough when oh. what they had asked was like, yo, what time is it? <laughs> like, that's what the fucking South, man. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But uh, yeah, something about that feels very true to life, at least in my experience. I mean, Florida is also... It's only sort of the South sometimes in places, you know, depends on where you Mm -hmm. go. But um, I think it's so because I didn't fight Troy, if I'm remembering correctly, Mm -hmm. most of the other fights are against robots. There's a one time you fight some Garrett's, right? But that doesn't you end. Find some garrets. Yeah, they ran mm-hmm. away before. Like you beat beat them up too much, and it doesn't like. Et- or wait, <laughs> what's up, Ren? I'm pretty. Sh- I think I know what happens there. Uh, if you only fight them with K, I think they will stay because LeBlanc has a gun, and so when LeBlanc fires, fires the gun, that's they what. Fuck okay, off that makes more sense. Yeah, they're <laughs> they just like, whoa, immediately shit! Fuck off. That escalated. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, talk talk about a guy, LeBlanc. LeBlanc. What, what a fuck! Like, look, this this game has a higher concentration of that fucking guy than any other game, right? You got LeBlanc. You got Keith, my man Keith. Did y'all get the LeBlanc conversation at Sarpy Books? Because it's one of the funniest fucking things I've ever played. I so if you take if back, you take yeah. LeBlanc to Sarpy, he has a conversation with oh god, what's her name? No one's quite sure. And the woman who works there, yeah. where mm-hmm. he's like, why don't you come to the bar anymore? And she's like, it's not my scene. And then he goes, oh, Erica's did you name. get yeah. Erica? Yeah. He's like, oh, did you get weirded out by the time Keith asked you to wax his shoulder? And she was like, kind, kind of. And he was like, it wasn't because you were a woman. Keith asks everyone to wax his shoulder. I've waxed <laughs> Keith's shoulders more times than I can. It's just like oh paragraphs, paragraphs of this dude being like, it wasn't misogyny that caused him to ask to wax your shoulder. I promise you it was not sexism. I've waxed Keith's shoulder plenty of times. Now, would I rather wax a woman's shoulder? <laughs> it's, just fucking, it's just pages. Of like uh, some of the funniest fucking writing I've ever. Enc- I love LeBlanc so much. I love that little fuck up with all of my heart. That shit heel prince whose office has a toilet in it, and so there's just get a his, hole uh, in the wall next to him. Fuck, it's so good. Y'all get him yes. to put on his uh, special makeup. No, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is a beautiful extra layer to LeBlanc's character. Uh. When you're picking him up at his at his place of work, uh, there's a there's clown makeup on his desk. There is. You there interact is. with I that clown, the clown makeup, but I didn't I didn't click said, it enough for him to interact. Yeah, with he it. said, "Don't fuck around, don't don't fuck around too much with it, or I'll 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 have to get down to some clowning." And I'm like, "Oh, I want to see some clowning." You keep clicking on. He's like, "Oh, you're making me. You're you you get like four clicks before he's like, all right, that's it." It's clown time. He puts on and it's it's juggalo makeup. He he is a juggalo, which I think just is beautiful. And he from then the rest of the game is wearing clown makeup and people That's comment on it all the time through so the end. So fucking funny. Yeah. That's so fucking funny. It's beautiful. Um, um 
but yeah. Additional, oh, sorry, Kato. I, I, I think circling back around to the thing about violence, I, I, it feels like, you know, we don't get that many moments of that sort of uh, RPG style mini game, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Very few against other people unless you decide to beat up Troy and mostly against like those guards at the at mm-hmm. shield, which are ro- robots. Um, and then the boss mm-hmm. rush at the end, which are all you know it's all hallucination and apparently you're punching walls um yeah and like i'm trying to think of the best way to frame this but essentially what i'm trying to get at here is that they have abstracted to a certain degree what you're doing in those fights like you you're doing like a little mini game but then what your character is physically doing, like, I didn't realize LeBlanc was shooting a gun when I was clicking those yeah. buttons. And then I was like, oh, that makes sense now when, why those kids ran away. Um, but something about that feels removed in a way where the discussions of, like, uh, death, you know, especially around Catherine, who is terminally ill and, like, you're playing at, and, like, once you're playing as her, you know that she will die before the next time yeah Kay talks to her something mm-hmm. about the starkness of that like just being like hanging over everything you're doing as her feels less abstracted than the the fights that you get into you know um it's and like you know i've had family members die of cancer and other diseases and just like that the way like thinking about the way that people uh react differently to the end is something that i feel like this game like really touches about like like people talk about how like at the at the beginning people were like oh she kind of like lost it at the end but then as you play as her you realize she was actually super like aware like she was actually going out and Mm -hmm. trying to find something and like the thing was just so ridiculous that other people thought she was talking nonsense you know and Mm. like just you know really kind of dives into this question of like what do you do with your with the the end what do you do with your last moments and like part of what's so sad about Catherine's time is that even though she ends up going like trying to figure out this kind of like weird mystery it's because she needs money (laughs) Right. And it's yeah. uh, and it's because she is in debt. She's in medical debt to the tune of like 15K or something before the end. And she's trying to like, you know, this the fucked up thing about fucking credit and debt in the United States. That shit passes on to next of kin when you die. Um, And there's that urgency to like, I just need to get this like thing done so that I can get enough money so that I'm not like leaving behind a bunch of bullshit for my kids. Yeah. Um. And like I don't know, I feel I felt like that was really like beautifully and like empathetically handled as far as like this is just what like the the truth of the end under capitalism under like the system of like debts and uh you know needing to make money not just to survive but also to uh uh make sure that the next generation has something to live off of as well um and what you can what you can and can't pass on like we can't pass on memories the way they can in this world, right? But we can still pass on debt the way that they can in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. 
Did you notice the cruelest part of of the money situation? Uh, maybe if, I don't know which once one. Once you get once you get the phone, oh, the second time, crashed. yes, yes, it's, cra- yes, it's, it's, it's crashed because it's a fucking crash. Yeah, it's a crypto. It's based on duck. It's based on duck. So when duck gets sick and starts to die. The currency crashes, so there's 87 quack coins just sitting in their account worth five U.S. dollars. Five dollars, five and it bucks. It is just, it's it's brutal. It is like a absolutely brutal. I also think that like one of the interesting things about the combat system you're talking about, Kato, is that the combat system, other than knocking out Troy, um, feels relatively consequenceless. Right, you never see the actual direct effects of these combat encounters, with one exception. LeBlanc dies at the end of that boss rush. Right. Like this, mm-hmm. the the one character who is like not the one character, but the character who is stuck with you for almost the longest gets fucking murked um, at the end of that boss rush. Million also dies um, in a deeply tragic way. Yeah, Million, ugh, fuck that robot. Um, not I, fuck that robot, but fuck, fuck comma, comma that, that robot. robot. Sigh. <laughs> yeah. No, don't don't. I'm I'm. This is listen. I don't know about y'all. This is a pro million podcast. I yeah. am. This is a this is a firmly pro million podcast. Hundred uh, percent. At least if I'm at the helm of it. God damn it. Um, there is a sequence. Uh, God, the sequence at the end. So Million is a robot that sticks with you throughout the entire video game or most of the video game until you are looking at Catherine's head drive and Million attacks you um, as you connect it to the network, um, and then. LeBlanc shoots and kills Million after he finds her about to kill you. There is then a sequence at the end of the game where you go through the memories of the house and you interact with everyone there uh, in your memory uh, in this like dream sequence. Kind of dream sequence. It's not a dream sequence. By the end of this video game, the literal and the, and the allegorical and the dream like has been so completely blurred that it's it's there's mm-hmm. no point disentangling like the two. Like the 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 metaphorical is the literal by that point in the video game. Um, a million basically the million in your memory basically points to her and says there was another thing in here too this is where it lived and tries to shake herself free of it because like the, the real million who spent time with you for years and years and years was the real million and did genuinely care and have a relationship to your family but there was another thing inside her that she could not control and it is this like one of the most tragic things in this video game, truly. Mm-hmm. It's, uh... Yeah, I mean... Uh, no, go oh, ahead. Go, go ahead, Cam. Well, just, you know, every turn in this game, right, uh, we are we are asked to think about is there a difference between the stated beliefs that people have or, like, the acting beliefs that people have, right? Like, what is your real self is, like, a big question mm-hmm. here. And that that can get pretty pat in science fiction, right? Like... Oh, okay, well, nothing's real and originary. Like, okay, right? Like, you know, that, that can get not uninteresting very quickly. But but exactly as you're saying, right? I mean, essentially, you know, the uh, million's got spyware in her head. And it's spyware that triggers in a very specific condition. And there's nothing that she could do about that. And, uh, you know, it's it, ideologically, right? Uh, there's a similar thing going on with the Garrets where it's like, do they do the Garrett's really believe in this like whole thing or do they not? And it's like, well, some of them do and some of them don't. And some of them know that it's like a useful fiction for them to like play video games all day and run away from their parents. And some of them are true believers. Um, 
you know, the same stuff happens with the kind of neuromancer style. You know, we see the richest people in the richest moments, you know, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what mask do you have to wear to tell the truth? You know, there's that whole thing going on at the kind of masquerade ball. So right. there, you know, I, if I would say, you know, if I were thinking about like, what are the major themes that show up in here? That kind of question, right? Like what what is the real originary self and how does it get expressed? And, you know, at the bottom of all of these cases, it's there's there's not one, right? There's like a negotiation right. at the bottom of the cell. And it's... And, yeah. It feels like ahead. that negotiation is strongly happening with the forces of, like, capital and industry, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Million is a machine built by that specific uh, company to try to track down the thing that Catherine has found in the lake for monetary reasons. And, like, it almost, like... And, like, maybe this is too clean of a metaphor to make about Million's situation, but it, like, you know, it's, like, the ways that, like, the the kind of capitalist structure that we all live upon, like, live under, like, kind of forces certain, like, social norms to happen. And, like, you don't even think you're thinking these thoughts, but you realize, like, oh, that's because... You know, this is just how our society is playing out. Like, I uh, think a certain way about homeless people, like, asking me for money on the street as I pass them by because of the way that, you know, society has said, like, they made a mistake or whatever. And, like, you know, we can find ways to, like, get out from under that sort of thinking. But, like, there is kind of a baseline there that, like, our capitalist society is, like, forcing certain ideals mm-hmm. right and like millions like forced ideal is programming because she's a robot but like it i feel like it kind of tracks to that similar like sort of idea of just like the things that the weight of survival under capitalism can make us think you know mm-hmm. um i also think it's worth noting that in, a, in an interview with polygon the developer uh the game's lead writer actually talks in detail about um the ways in which for them science fiction the metaphorical is is talking about systems right the 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 systems in science fiction are 100% talking about real world systems and like mm-hmm. modes and like methods of power and and are allegories for introducing different ways of talking about power to a broader audience they cite like Zizek among like other theorists who'd like use science fiction um as a lens through which they can communicate ideas about the world to people um and uh, like an, as like a couple, handful of like influential theorists for them um so, like, I don't think that even looking at Million is that much of a stretch. I mean, Million's death is the last thing you see in that dream sequence. Million, the, the, the dream sequence of you going through your house at the end of the game finishes with a million as the stars in the sky above um, New Orleans. And the tragedy of the fact that, like, the most beautiful thing about her, her that being her, like, star-like eyes... Or one of the beautiful things about her visually and the most distinctive thing about her was also the eyes of the hunter. Uh, and she had to carry both of those things with her at all times. Um, and is like really well done. And also like Millions personhood is like constantly questioned throughout the video game. Um, by like I feel multiple like, characters. Here's the thing that is interesting to me. I feel like the characters question it, but the game kind of doesn't. No, like exactly the, the external narrative of the game is like no that is a person but like characters are still in this world like but it's a robot and like they're kind of the like you know the first step of thinking about robot personhood and the game's already like nah we're past that <laughs> actually but the world might not be mm-hmm. right um i just think ugh, millions of extremely extremely uh well-executed character uh and is the character you spend 
the three characters you spend the most time with in this game are Million in Act 1, uh, Dallas and Lucky in Act 2, mm-hmm. uh, and then LeBlanc uh, in Act 3. Uh, Lucky can... just likes blowing stuff up. Just, yeah. Lucky's blown up a lot of things. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> just happens <laughs> to be revealed. <laughs> the reveal that Lucky isn't like ideological. I mean, yeah, that's... Lucky has an ideology. Lucky has an mm-hmm. ideology and believes things about the world. But Lucky also believes one of the things that Lucky believes <laughs> about the world is that Lucky should blow shit up. And it's like it is. Lucky's out here being like, no, 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 no. I have no problem with Shield. They give people jobs. It's fine. I Lucky. And like, but things explode good. <laughs> things explode good, and I am like existentially motivated to 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 blow things up. Um, that is the core of my personhood: is my ability to go blow shit up. Uh, and you know what? More power to him. More power to my more power to my <laughs> shithead prince. Yeah, uh, what a weird guy. And he also only speaks in third person. Yeah. <laughs> In a way that like um, feels better than most things where someone speaks in third person, I actually found it deeply charming from Lucky in a way that I did not normally, which is just, again, another testament to the game's writing, uh, to have made that weird fucking mm-hmm. dude feel oddly human for being such a weirdo. Well, I think all of this has to do, you know, with, with making these characters feel good, um, even the ones that are kind of, you know, more familiar, right, in the kind of genre space. I think I think one of the strengths here is that the everyone on the team seems very aware of uh, not wearing out their welcome, mm-hmm. right? Like the the game is finite, you know. It it you, you can it's, if you're really kind of getting through it, you can get through it in three and a half hours or so. And if you really want to languish, you can get through it in six or something like that. But like uh, every character is like really tightly drawn in there, not around for very many words, right? I think probably the LeBlanc might get 10,000 words of dialogue somewhere mm. in there, but, you know, Lucky might have three, <laughs> you know, like, uh, despite being around for a very long time. So I, I think that's a real strength of the game is it's like, look, here's the character, here's what they're up to. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, it's very much, I think that works. It feels like the, the, the tight 90 of video games, right? Like, <laughs> yes, there, it, does. it doesn't feel like there's a lot of, uh, excess on it at all. Or even the parts where there might be, it's like a thing that you can choose to go back to. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can make this game a tight 90, like you said, like play it in three hours, just go through the like mainline stuff. And there is stuff on the periphery that are, is like interesting moments of like world building and characterization, but aren't strictly necessary. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, don't have it's, to... it's slim, but not what's the, what's the word? It's, you know, it's, it's got, a. uh, it's not, I'm trying to think of which one breadth or depth it is. I guess it's got depth <laughs> and not breadth. Yeah. <laughs> but... The pool is not wide, but it is extremely deep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, what'd y'all think about that party at the end? The, the, the. Where they're about the to launch swamp. The, the swamp party? Yeah, swamp party. Swamp burning man. <sighs> swerning man. Um, <laughs> Love me some swerning man. <laughs> uh, that's was... the t-shirt. That's the t-shirt for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Sw- swerning man. Swerning. <laughs> I, um, I think that there's, there's, there's some interesting conversations there. Um, did y'all, did y'all give Bruce the memo? Yeah. Mm. I don't know what. Wait, Cam, did you go to space or not? I did. You went to okay. 
I oh, shit. have to talk about this game's ending in a minute. This is this is <laughs> fascinating to me. Um, okay, so if you go to the side lot behind the mall, a dude is there and he's like, I've got this fucked up kid. Can you get this mm-hmm. voice memo to mm-hmm. my kid? Right. You then meet that kid uh, at the end of the game yeah. as K. And if you save that voice memo, you can play it for him. Uh, and then basically Bruce hears his dad be like, Aunt, fuck it, just come home, please. Mm-hmm. And he does. Bruce fucks off and he goes home, uh, which creates an opportunity for you sitting in this throne room at the at the peak of this tower. Papa slash the ditch man goes to go because Bruce is the one who's supposed to launch the rocket. Mm-hmm. And then Papa's like, fuck, where the fuck is Bruce? And the answer is Bruce is home with his dad. And so Papa has to go down to the rocket launch station himself. And that is your opportunity to escape. Mm, yeah, I, I assumed that. So I knew everything about I forget his name is Bruce, but I I set all of that up and then did not trigger it because yeah. um, I was just playing through the thing. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, I went to space. At the end of the video game, (laughs) happens. How many endings is it? Is it just the two, like space or not? Basically, at the at the very end, I tried to find the answer to this question, and no one has collated like an answer on the internet yet. Mm. At least here, there's at least two. Yeah, at least here, I assume me and Ren, given the way we're talking about it, got the we sent Bruce home and therefore could escape ending, and then so. And Cam went to what does going to space mean? What happened? Uh, like, the rocket launches because uh, you you go all the way there. You're in the the throne room yeah. thing with like your dead mother and your brother and all that stuff, yeah. right? And you're like locked into the chair. Uh, you're locked into the chair and the rocket launches and you go into space. <laughs> and then like the game cuts to black essentially. <laughs> Um, oh there's God. some like, you know, whatever Papa doing his kind of like messianic, whatever thing going right. on. But, but basically that's, that's where it ends there. There's no like interesting, you know, weird thing that goes on, mm-hmm. but you actually, does it like, the, does the it make lo- the rocket goes, the, <laughs> it, it, it does work. Right. Like it makes, it, it makes like you actually made it out. Yeah. Of the well, uh, like, it's, it's left ambiguous. It is. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. The rocket but launches launching. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I mean, on the other right. end, uh, when the rocket launch, that thing fucking crumbles. It explodes. <laughs> it yeah. fucking and falls it over and explodes. Um, but yeah, you make it out with your with your with your brother and the corpse of your mother, which uh, momentarily seems to be animated when you hit the mm-hmm. waters of the bayou. Uh, you know, like I think one of like that's this is the the kind of like thing that it like leaves you on is her body sinking, reaching out to you and like pleading with you to come with, and then your brother running in the opposite direction, kind of off to the off off into the wilds. Um, go ahead, Ren. Yeah. So, so she is pleading with you to come, but there's another line in there that I've been thinking about since I beat the game, which is it, to some degree, Catherine wanted you to get out. Like, she wanted to be in your mm-hmm. life, but she wanted all of you to be out of this place. Right. Um, and there's, there's a, there is a bittersweet moment where you see that in her corpse. And you see that desire to have escaped and, and the loss of that potentiality of leaving, quote-unquote, this world. Uh, this world that was 
undeniably cruel uh, to this family. Uh, and choosing to stay in it is like a very difficult choice to make uh, for this character and like for um, their family and like their relationships. I also think that like, <sighs> there's something really interesting happening with the family here uh, in terms of their association with the place itself. Uh, did you open the letter in the dream sequence uh, in the uh, St. Clair's uh, boardroom? The one that's a picture of your family? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's over a map, isn't it? It's not just over a map. They are the map. Your family is mm-hmm. the... That is the map of the bayou itself. Right. And so your family, right. yeah, your yeah. character's family becomes... It, it, through this, like, metaphorical condensation, I believe, uh, is, I think that's yeah, accurate, uh, basically becomes one-to-one analogic for this place. Um. Or someone believes that. At the very least, Papa believes that you have become, you know, an analogy for the the very place itself. And mm-hmm. that, that does honestly kind of resonate in a lot of ways. I feel like, I think Kay is an interesting character. Sketched out and often up to the player to fill in some of the details of that sketching. But what is the outline that you are given to play in is I, is I find very interesting. How did y'all feel about the characterization of, like, the family itself for the few... Because you get mostly get to interact with your brother Blake through memories mm-hmm. um, and a handful of, like, sequences. Uh, you play as Catherine uh, and Kay, and I was curious about how y'all felt about the characterization of each of the, like, various family members and if it, like, hit home for you or if, like, the sketching of Kay kind of missed. Mm-hmm. Right, can I go back really quickly? So oh, I've looked please. up the uh, the ending that I got uh, so I can look at... And I you definitely blow up. <laughs> I remember the first three paragraphs, but not the final two paragraphs. Right, right. Um, so uh, this is the the ending I got. The room comes alive with motion and the airlock seals shut. Small articulated arms extends out from your chair. They embrace your arms and legs, forcing you into stillness because I, I chose to like sit down and like, you know, do it. You're not kidnapped or anything. Uh, you feel the old man's hands working a crown around your head as a blinding light consumes your vision. Every sense screams before settling into silence. The pressure that's been building in your chest releases as time dissolves. Past and future collapse into a single moment of immolation. You become pure radiant light burning above Norco. Um, so I think I took that as metaphorical, but really mm-hmm. thinking about it now, uh, I don't I think it's it a little bit of both, right? You explode. It's a little I mean, bit. It's an artful explosion. Yeah, this uh, is, I mean, the metaphorical and the literal are 100% fused by the end of this video yeah, game. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. the, And then, like, the link directly, that link, that links directly to the, the, the ever-burning, uh, you know, the gas. I, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it is. Like, like the, the thing that comes off the oil refinery where there's always a fire coming out of that pipe. I'm not actually sure mm-hmm. what that does. Do you all know what uh, those things are for oil, like... I think it's for off-gassing, right? Right, it's it, just it's, like... They're going they to be releasing, to li- like... Release pressure yeah. from some direction, so they just burn it up. Um, yeah, otherwise I think you're just... Because I think it might be methane that's being released right. there. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. The... Um, anyway, so... Sorry, to answer... So I was just giving some context there, since neither of you saw that uh, ending or, or experienced the ending. Uh, I, I think the family characterization works fine. I... Uh, the brother feels more like a plot contrivance to me than anything else. Like, yeah. I I don't get a good sense of him. You know, he feels like every other character. You know, he doesn't feel like a unique um, 
I guess he doesn't feel like a brother to Kay to me in a general sense, right? There, there's not a strong connection there. There's not a lot of exploration of specific memories between the two of them, or at least not more than you and with every other person in the world, um, which is fine. I, I mean, I think it works. Um, but uh, to me, it's just like, oh, well, he's like the, the you know, whatever, the thing we're looking for, right? Like, mm-hmm. he he's drives the plot. The MacGuffin, we got to find yeah. him. <laughs> MacGuffin, yeah. I couldn't, couldn't think of the... Yeah, he's like a human MacGuffin, right? I do like the characterization of the faces. I like that a lot. God, the uh, sequence. Oh. Uh, to for context, uh, for people who uh, play the game and don't remember, all these characters have just like drawn on like smiley faces, um, which is actually explained in like passing in one really good moment uh where basically when you left norco you left behind a lot of your like sense of identity and personhood to Mm -hmm. to then basically journey the u.s as a wanderer and that like this is what turns k into an iconographic character right is is Mm -hmm. is the decision to leave this place which then also like changes the way that she's like represented to the player which makes her a better cipher for the you know the literal player sitting there um because that is you know stripped of a specific face that cipher work is easier um but also allows you to like allows her to take on this like iconographic mode that is like really neat uh and blake is uh, similarly drawn, uh, albeit super sad. While Kay's expression is neutral, uh, Blake's is just like, oh, it's a fucked up kid. Oh, man. Oh, someone fucked up that kid so bad. Dang. Uh, I... I mean, a lot of the structure of this hit real close to home for me because uh, I don't call my mom enough. <laughs> uh she's fine though she's not terminally ill so it's kind of different but still the, the well is she really into crypto <laughs> that's the no, other luckily the other major <laughs> like concern she does not does not understand computer actually very funnily understood computers at the time when basic was the main programming language and did not keep up with mm-hmm. computers though so cannot use the like her her iphone uh got it but um i think i ended up mapping like i have i'm the eldest of four uh my the the next person down the line is my brother who's only a year younger than me but is still living at home and it was just like ah i know this and so there was a very personal direct connection there but i do think ultimately the amount of time that you end up spending with uh moments with blake is like you get i mean obviously k because you're the, the person that you spend the whole time with k but like even the times that you spend with Catherine, like flesh them out more than blake ever gets fleshed out um and i i do i do kind of wish there was like a little bit more there but then mm-hmm. like you get the face right and it's blake crying like blake mm-hmm. is the sibling who feels everything that nobody else uh we'll talk about feeling uh which is a a familial dynamic that like you know yeah uh comes up in in media of all sorts but also i'm like particularly familiar with the, the this, this like idea that there's one person who is definitely going to uh maybe say the quiet thing out loud that a lot most of the other family will not acknowledge <laughs> things like that um yeah ren as an eldest daughter 
uh, as the eldest daughter who left home uh, and and kind of left her siblings behind, Kato, I'm in a similar place to you where playing this game felt it's like ooh, fucking fucking brutal. One of the I, I, this this is going to eventually lead into a question that I had um, a little bit ago that I wanted to wrap back around to, um, but like oh god, this family dynamic is, is brutal and also just like it hits home really hard. Uh, and like, even if, even though Blake's characterization really falls flat for me, the sketches we get of Kay do not, um, that character who is like, Mm -hmm. has a very complex relationship to her mother and to this place and like has made, who, who feels like Kay did the work of bearing the brunt of the family's burden for a while and eventually was just unable to do it anymore. Right, like the emotional work of of navigating like her relationship to her mother, of protecting her brother, of all of these things kind of built up in this resentment in her. And eventually she was like, I I gotta fucking go. I have to fucking go, or this place will kill me. Um which is why, you know, eventually she leaves. And I also also think that like this ties into the 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 ending that Cameron got, which is if you try and go up, if you try and leave this world, it will fucking kill you. So what else do you do? And this is why I think, you know, the developer refuses to call this game a dystopia, Mm -hmm. uh, which I find interesting. Uh, But also, like, the other ending that Kato and I got, where you dive into the bayou and then follow your brother running, feels like, you know, it would be very easy to break up this game into two binary choices, right? Mm -hmm. Do you try and go up and leave this world being Norca, Louisiana, this place that you've grown up with, or do you stay and choose to invest in the community here? The game really blurs that decision um, because, you know, in, if you try to leave, you die. Uh, but also, even if you choose to jump and free yourself and, like, escape this 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 ship, you probably do leave Norco, right? You probably do leave this particular place, and the game implies as such as you and your brother flee as fast as you can. And it kind of presents that, like, you will not leave this world, but you will leave this place. Um, mm-hmm. And and there is a world outside of Norco, Louisiana, one that is less human or actively, de- not less human, one that is actively dehumanizing to your character, but you are going to choose that over staying here because if you stay here, it will kill you. Um, and it's, I think, a really, really well executed, um, really, really well executed, like, conclusion. Um, especially coming from someone who grew up in a hometown who realized last year if she stayed, it would kill her. Uh, it really hits home. Um, I was actually, the thing I was curious about was y'all's, just for a bit of context, what are y'all's relationship to like the places that you are from, like to the South as a whole? Um, I know, uh, Cam, you said you're from Georgia. Uh, right. And uh, Cotto, you're from Florida. And if you could just like paint me a quick picture of of your whole vibe and how it kind of how you feel Norco resonated or did not. Well, my cousin got uh, mugged by a guy <laughs> with a stick outside a convenience store. So, so yeah, I feel like I feel like that paints a pretty clear picture of yeah, what's exactly. going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, well, well I, I guess I can't say. You know, there, there's something interesting to me that. Um, you know, we've had kind of, uh, I don't know, a resurgence or or maybe maybe not a resurgence, just a, kind of a wave of representations of, of 
Appalachia, the South, right? Um, small towniness, and none of them really resonate um, for the way that where I grew up, you know. Mm. Uh, and when I grew up in particular too, Norco is probably getting close enough, right? But, you know, I grew up during the kind of, and, and Kado, you definitely have memories of this too in the South, right? Dur- of the meth epidemic, you know, of the early and mid 2000s, yeah. right? Um, which provided an absolute contour, right? Norco gives us little hints of like, uh, you know, opioid use and abuse, right? Um, but, uh, you know, uh, there there is a uh, massively pro- locally and massively produced drug cultures, uh, you know, were a massive part of the South and particularly the rural South and continue to be a big part of the rural South. And that still is never really, um, you know, represented super, super well. Um, and, and so that's kind of a realist contour that never quite makes it into the thing, perhaps because like actually representing that would just be too bleak, <laughs> right? Like what, what if everyone were Blake, right? Is <laughs> is kind of like the thing here. And I say that advisedly, but it's also the truth, right? You know, I have, I have a younger brother and you know, the sheer number of people in his kind of social circle, uh, who have passed away from opioid use or had, you know, really I- extreme, uh, negative outcomes from that in a, a lot of different ways. You know, that's really pronounced for his generation. And then for mine, it was methamphetamine use. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's kind of a contour of it. The other thing I would say is that uh, there is still yet to be a video game that has represented the kind of hyper locality of the South that is very specific. Um, and Norco gets close, right? Because they talk about these little kind of suburbs, but like, or not suburbs, but like little, I mean, some of them are suburbs, I guess, but neighborhoods and things like that. But like, you know, where I grew up, there's like, literal valleys and hollows that are called out as valleys and hollows. And there are people who live there who have lived there since their grandparents did. Right. Uh, and their whole family lives in the same like quarter mile area. And, uh, you know, it's on a single lane road that like weaves through mm-hmm. these like dirt Hills. Right. And so, uh, you know, and, and that is a place that, you know, this kind of Petri dish of production of high, you know, microcultures and hierarchies and things like that. So, you know, and and I, as much as I like games like uh, KRZ or Norco or uh, Night in the Woods, right, which also plays in this space a little bit, there's still nothing that really gets to, for me, what was the lived experience of being in a very, very small town. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really appreciate about all those games is that they, they grapple with history quite a bit. You know, Norco does this maneuver, and I wish it was surfaced a little bit more in text, but does this thing where you can read books, you know, occasionally depending mm-hmm. on where you are, like the bookstore or in some people's houses. And it's like, yeah, there's a there's a direct line from uh, chattel slavery, uh, you know, to this refinery. These things are all of a piece of one another. They, yeah. they begin on the plantation and they end um, with the refinery. And, um, you know, that's it, you can't go anywhere in the South without that being a major part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like that this um that this game takes that first step there, but you know, in, in uh, other representations of the South, I would like an even more honest mm-hmm. portrayal. I mean, where, where I live now, I live in central Georgia now. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can't, you can't go anywhere without finding a literal plantation or the mark of a plantation or a place where someone was murdered brutally or, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm within walking distance of a very famous lynching site. So, uh, you know, these things, I've been thinking about them. The reason I'm saying all this is I've been thinking about them a lot recently. There, there's a very famous piece uh, here. It's a Beverly Buchanan piece. She, she was a sculptor in the 70s and 80s. And it's within walking distance of a huge Confederate monument. And I've mm-hmm. been thinking a lot about that recently. 
especially because The Walking Dead season one takes place, uh, <laughs> you know, in this kind of swath of the South, right between Savannah and Atlanta. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that, uh, about this, you know, this major, you know, black sculptor who uh, was doing profound work, uh, you know, in this region. Um, she has a very famous thing in the uh, marshes on the coast where it's these massive concrete kind of orb boulders, artificial boulders that just went out into the tide and, um, you know, are quite literally there to be forgotten about. Uh, yeah. And so she does that kind of work, this longitudinal concrete work. Uh, but, but I've been thinking about that, this longitudinal kind of like big Beverly Buchanan stuff, plus this weird video game representation of this region, <laughs> plus the Confederate monument, right? What are what are the ways of thinking uh, the, the, the specificity of the history of the South mm-hmm. and what are the ways of representing that and trying to get your hands around it in a way that feels authentic? Um, and so I think Norco, that's all to say, I think Norco, Norco gets close, but I can think of all these contours that are capturable within a representation. I wouldn't think it would be weird for them to be there, but which which don't line up with my experience and and that's and you know i don't think that's like anyone else's responsibility right it's not like i don't know uh you know (laughs) scott benson why didn't you do my specific life experience but it is interesting to me that there's so much more there still to speak to i guess is is what i would say and i'm probably everyone feels that way about games about their location i don't think anyone who lives in new york is like they got it. <laughs> the division right, like, really got, you know, downtown <laughs> right. Manhattan. Right, right. Oh, they're done. Uh, we, let's close uh, the door on it. Yeah. Is, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask him if there, if you feel like there's a difference between a sense of placeness and hyperlocality. Like, I feel like Norco has a sure. great sense of placeness and is, and is, and, right. and maybe for the specific developer, hyperlocal, but I feel like hyperlocality is such a incredibly difficult thing to convey. I feel like the closest mm-hmm. the game gets is, when Troy talks about your family and like mm-hmm. the very specific intimacy, like Troy gestures at a at an assholeish intimacy, having known you your entire life. He is the mm-hmm. douchebag who is always around and who helped your mom with shit, despite the fact that everyone who knows him fucking hates him. And that is the closest it kind of gets to relationships and hierarchy in that way. But I think that the game, even if it doesn't quite get to true hyperlocality, gets to placeness very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think I've been lured uh, on accident into your realm of using the word hyperlocality. I feel like I've been I've been Jedi mind tricked here. Uh, the uh, right, you know, within space studies, I actually did a, a, a taught a course on um, kind of video game space and place. Um, I what last year, last year somewhere in there, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, there's this kind of like, you know, what is the, the 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 physical thing that we're looking at and experiencing and having a historical contour to, which would be like the space and then place, right? Like, what is the kind of phenomenal uh, experience of doing the thing of being mm. there, right? And so, hyper if we're if we're using your term of hyperlocality, which again I've been lured into here, um, then it's some some sort of like <laughs> great fusion of the two, right? Of like. Um, uh, appropriate representation, you know, meaning, you know, uh, mimetic representation. Yeah. Plus, like, what does it really feel like to be there, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. I, it, you know, <laughs> it, it, it that's always receding over the horizon, right? It's very yeah. hard to capture that in a, a real way. I think that this game does a very good job of getting um, place, right? Of giving you the, what 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 is it like for this character to be in this world and to have the kind of historical contour coming out of it? There are additional places I think that are are still there to be grabbed onto yes. that would feel more more close to what I experienced, but 
um, you know, that's for someone who was from somewhere like I am to yeah. come to, right? That's not Norco's responsibility. Sorry, Kato, I think you were going to say something. I cut you off. Uh, no, it's 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 good. Uh, to that to the point of how it does get get to its like representation of place really well. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to very quickly shout out some of the sound design in this game. Uh, oh, there's something so, so haunting about like being on a street with very the very like light rumble of cars from a distant highway and a dog barking down that echoes through the empty streets where i'm like shit Mm. i've been there (laughs) like yeah that's i mean it's it's 10 in there but i was like yeah that's 95 and like my friend lives like two blocks down that way um and i think the 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 sound design really pulls a lot out of uh some of the scenes and especially in the like sort of uh um uh, places right around your house like that you start as with K. Um, mm-hmm. uh, another thing I was I was gonna mention was this a, a thing that I think the game does do well as far as um, representation of at least of something that I've uh, run into being from Florida which also is like a weird you know I mentioned this before it's a weird amalgam of South and not in places, you know, um, like because there's so much uh, kind of uh, migrancy in like not just like migrant workers, but also like literally people who live there only live there like some parts of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a place like that feels fully like even for the people living there all the time, there's this sort of transience to the whole thing. And also... like people talk about LA's sprawl but what if that was a whole state (laughs) it's kind Mm -hmm. of like the more the more like developed parts of Florida the way that it's just like suburb forever almost um but something that Norco does I think pretty particularly well and interestingly is the ways that industry interrupts like sub suburb or like you know, like the places people live, especially around like ecological things. Like I grew up close to the Everglades and like Domino Sugar ever increasingly like taking more and more of the Everglades, a, a, a ecological location that only exists in Florida of all places in the entire world. Like no other biome is exactly that. Uh, and the ways that like, you know, the, the, the the kind of starkness with which industry stops and starts and then like people pick up and then like kind of ignore or interact with uh the biology of like swampland is very much like this thing that like i was aware of being in a, a south floridian and like taking trips to the to the Everglades and like looking on the horizon and seeing the fucking domino factory in the distance. Like, um, and I think it actually like represented that those things very, very well. Like it's like always kind of looming and you don't know maybe when you're looking at it, how it affects the place. But then you hear later, like these, these, these spaces are being physically changed by this industry in a way that it's going to disappear. Like the place will disappear eventually. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and there's almost no stopping it because of the, the way that just, you know, capital has power over space in that way. It's like slowly encroaching and eventually the Everglades will not exist anymore. 
Um, and I think this got to a really good sense of like the 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 bayou will eventually disappear and be subsumed by nor like the the uh, shields refineries. You know, the 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 moment when you find out there's a graveyard in the center of the refinery. Oh my fucking like, god! Is, was one is... of those particular moments of like, it's just going to become everything, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it will, but it, but it also the fourth flood. It won't. It will until until the levees break and the whole region is drowned. Right. Uh, and the oil pirates then rule the region. Um, <laughs> there is there's that, but there's a thing that the game on this point, Kato, does really, really well. And Cam, you just read it earlier. There's a book mm-hmm. you come into contact with very, very early that is a academic text that basically refutes the point. So there's like the game introduces this academic theory that um, S.H.I.E.L.D., has been intentionally depreciating property values around the location of the refinery to then buy up that land, which is like technically true. Like this is, this is true. We see this happen with duck, but the academic critique does this really clever move um, or the, the book does this really clever move um, for the game's narrative of rejecting that framing and, and basically going, I mean, yes, this is true. Home home values are depreciating and S.H.I.E.L.D. is buying them up, but they were never given the chance to appreciate. They were like this, this specific region was the cast off from plantations. Wealth has never accumulated here in the way that you would need to, to be able to have this like particular phenomenon, which you are talking about. This has always been the case. This is not a new phenomenon under capitalism. This is a continuation of a history of, of trauma and of like, you know, wealth, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Distribution, right? This is mm-hmm. this is a this is a history here, and like it's a it's a really brilliantly done maneuver that I think leans into a lot of the things that we're talking about uh, with what you've just said, Kato, in terms of like the ways in which spaces are defined both by their geography, but also the different ways that we talk about like the way that history and capitalism moves us through it. Nor- Norco itself isn't a real city, right? Yes, it is. Norco, Louisiana is where the game developer grew up. But no, but it's not a city. It's a, hold on. It's a census designated place. It's not like its own municipality. It, it, it exists because there's enough people live there that the census has to designate it as a place. Uh, but like, I think it's technically part of St. Charles Parish, it looks like. Yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is part of the... I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's referred to as a suburb. Norco in-game is referred to right, as a suburb of right. Louisiana. Sorry, not of Louisiana. Oh, my God. <laughs> as a suburb of New Orleans. Right. Um, um, and, like, that is... Oh, sorry, continue, Kato? No, I was just gonna... I was just gonna point out, obviously, the... Uh, I think they mention this in the game. I don't remember, actually, if they mention out loud that Norco is, like, a name that means New Orleans Refining Company... Like it is named for the, the you know, shield in the game. Uh, it's actually shell in real life, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 refinery that exists there that kind of is the reason that it's designated its own kind of yeah census designated place is a weird <laughs> weird thing. There's also there's also a. And I, when I originally read, a, when I originally talked about this game, I got a fact wrong, in, but not okay. I got a fact correct, but in the wrong order. 
So I also, when I came into contact with the game for the first time, I thought that Norco was not named after Norco, Louisiana, but Norco the opioid. Uh, Norco is mm. a mix of acetaminophen and hydrocodone, which is not an in, probably not an intentional comparison being drawn, or maybe it is, who knows? But like, there is there is cultural and metaphorical work happening uh, that I think is very interesting with having this place be coincidentally sharing a name with a like key drug in the early development of the opioid epidemic, um, which was like prescribed like very frequently from like 2007 through 2008 and kind of lays the foundation for like a lot of the modern opioid crisis in both like the South and also like rural areas throughout the United States. I think that is just like a weird, interesting artifact of coincidence that kind of takes Mm -hmm. on some interesting meaning in this particular game. God. Hmm. I was just a, just a, just a little side note there. Um, mm-hmm. Big bird, big mutant bird. Big, big bird. mutant. Oh, right. We have not talked about super duck even a little bit. Yeah, uh, there's a big bird. Maybe uh, a little bit. Is, uh, no, if you had something actually go ahead, I had a dumb question. <laughs> I, I don't. Okay. okay, well, I can, I can, I can lead us into, okay, Kata, what was your dumb question? Now I well, need my, to know, my, I feel my, like we My question was just, like, a kind of, is there a way to talk to Superduck as K during that Bayou section? No. I feel like I m- might have missed something, but mo- that's mostly based off of uh, uh, an illustration I saw. I was like, I never saw that in the game. I wonder if there was something I uh, didn't see. Wait, wait, did you... Did you give Super Duck the eyes? Yeah, but like okay. you don't interact with Super Duck that Super Duck note at all, really, right? No, you don't speak. Well, I think I think Super Duck is dying by that point. It's, right, he's too far gone. And I was just curious um, whether or not there was like a actual because like yeah, you only you only like really interact, speak with, in or like you know have a conversation with uh, Super Duck while you're Catherine, um, but. Uh, I saw an illustration by the games, uh, by the artist being like posted somewhere, and I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think I've actually seen that representation of Super Duck, and it looked kind of like they were in a swamp. Uh, and I was like, did I miss something? And I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. it's possible there there was another node or something else that, to interact with in that bayou that none of us saw. Mm-hmm. Y'all, did y'all find the Pigman, by the way? Yeah, I found the Pigman. I hung out with the no. Pigman. Where are you talking about Pigman? <laughs> There's a pig. Man. There's a pig man in the bayou. Cameron, there's a pig man. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not looking for extraneous stuff in the bayou. I'm there's I'm goal oriented <laughs> in the bayou. Oh, I got lost there's in the bayou, man. which is how I found the pig man. <laughs> I wasn't looking for anything. I was like, <laughs> where are these nodes? Oh shit, there's a pig man. Um, no, I found the pig man. I hung out with the pig man. Shout out to the pig man. Um, pig man yelled at my boat. And I tried, I tried to, ha- I tried to interact with the pig man in various ways. It did not work, but I thought about it. Apparently, you can uh, give the pig man the monkey. Which now I want to. Can pig? Yeah, you can give the pig man a monkey. The pig man the monkey. Just, just cut that out. That can be the trailer for this episode. <laughs> you, you can, can give the, the pig, pig man, man a monkey. Pig man a monkey. <laughs> if you find the pig <laughs> the man, you fuck? have the monkey. Give the pig man monkey. Um, I was actually <laughs> curious. Um, Cameron, you talk about placeness and like space versus place. I was interested. How do right. you feel like Super Duck? as an entity that 
emerges from a human conscious or a version mm-hmm. of a human consciousness from this area that then turns into a virus which comes to literally infect every single piece of or in some way come into contact with every single piece of biology in the region mm-hmm. uh, and, and to kind of make it an active character. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my just general vibe here. Yeah, what's it's your that, general vibe? And how do you feel like? I, I, I feel I like that. It's, uh, yeah, I don't feel like it's any different than using GPS on your phone. Um, you know, there, there's this kind of instrumentality of nature that happens, right? When you start interacting with it um, in uh, augmented ways, right? Which is not like te- technology bad. That's not what I mean. But I mean that, uh, you know, we we use tools in a broad sense as a way of like apprehending the world around us, right? Like, you know, you start using... The first time I really experienced that when I was, was when I was in college and I was shooting a lot of... Um, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of photography uh, and uh, shooting a lot of film and things like that. And I realized like, oh, shit, like I am now seeing like different focal planes differently than I did before. Right. And that was the first time I was reading a lot of philosophy at the time, too. And I was like, oh, these are like this is true. They didn't just make this up. This is like real. <laughs> and, you know, your tools kind of help define the way that you apprehend the world or you experience the world around you. Um, and, and so for me, it was like, oh yeah, this is just, you know, talking earlier about the kind of use of science fiction that the Norco devs have talked about, right? Like, oh, this is just like a speculative approach or like a slightly, um, you know, science fictiony approach to like a very common phenomenon, which is like, yeah, uh, once you begin to, uh, you know, use particular tools to think through the connectedness of the bayou or start thinking of it as this kind of living entity, ecologically, whatever, um, and then you're interacting with that through navigation apps or, you know, whatever, taking pictures of it with your phone constantly. You've transformed your relationship to that space. And so to, to me, I was like, oh, super ducks like possess the bayou. But like really what's already possessed the bayou is like all these other ways that Kata was talking about. Right. Of like controlling, apprehending, maneuvering it um, and, and coming to understand it in you know different ways, both on the like big C capitalism side of the way that like the refinery does, but also like the way that we do, right? Like the very way that we engage with the Bayou, you know, we we're out of the first person perspective or whatever mm-hmm. this kind of like version of perspective that we have is we are in a map, you know, th- this kind of top down um, territorial view of it. Right. That's a, that is a, uh, uh, like Latin long map, right? We have that. And then we even have all these like different measurements in the bottom, right? Right. This like little box of like depth and all kinds of stuff there. Right. Like the, the game gives us all these different frameworks through which we apprehend this thing that is maybe unapprehendable on its own, the Bayou. And then in, you know, the furthest reaches of that are super duck and super ducks, you know, like bioluminescent, roots or whatever mm. uh, you know that become cat cables or whatever but um so so that's always I, you know i guess my answer there is like i think it's interesting i think it's cool um i think it's a literalization or a metaphorization into the literal yeah um that uh is a very common phenomenon of like mm. engaging with the the world around us uh which i thought was super cool i i don't know how i feel about the 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 piece that i really like wasn't on board with narratively is like why why is duck's brain image the thing that does all this stuff that's the thing i was thinking about as we're talking about this and i I think the answer in the game's narrative is that like duck has chosen to stay in this play duck refuses to fucking leave and has like been given and has such a 
particularly antagonistic relationship with S.H.I.E.L.D. and, like, with certain aspects of this place. I think that is kind of what motivates Superduck to, like, come into existence in this way, is it has to be one of, it it had to be Duck or Catherine. These two people who have come to, for a lot of people, define this region. Because everyone you talk to has something to say about Duck or Catherine, or usually both. Mm. Um, in, In the way that, like, I think a lot of rural areas can have You've heard about the main character on Twitter. Well, small towns also often have motherfuckers who everyone <laughs> talks about and and who exist in this like mythological mode. And it feels really resonant actually because the, the it is that it is Duck's consciousness who seeps into this place. And uh, there's a very particular way of talking about the setting is a character. Uh, is, is, is New, New York is the fifth New character. New York is the fifth character. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and I think that, that part of the thing that Norco's do is, is the literalization of that. Um, right. is, but also the mechanics, because that's the thing, the mechanics of this world are important to the way we interpret it. The developers have outright stated that they intentionally chose certain mechanics of this world because they are ways to think about placeness and ways to think about you know systems in a way that is more approachable. And the thing that I think about is the ways in which Duck is a researcher who is a very, is a researcher and like a person who has lived in this place for a very long time and developed the exact relationship that you are talking about Super Duck having, exemplifying in a lot of ways, right? Duck Mm -hmm. and Catherine analyzed this place. They are academics. They have a very particular local fixation uh, that then through this like, process morphs into this second consciousness that is like solely motivated around this aspect of the world in the same way that like even Catherine's head drive is filled with an impulse Catherine's head drive has the impulse of finding her kids and and, or or conveying something to her kids right at least in my case speaking to Catherine's head drive was only about Blake or Kay that was the only thing that could properly articulate on uh, for more than a few seconds at a time. And so it feels like I would be fascinated to see what, I mean, like the reason that like Catherine's head drive is where it is, is so it can't get to the network. And I'm like, there is a degree to it. The game is almost suggesting that these head drives were going to naturally become this thing mm-hmm. um, or become other things uh, that I think is like pretty interesting from like a systemic and like metaphorical perspective. Well, the other thing that the head drive is full of is ads. Right. Like, you know, that's also part of the interesting thing to it, too, is that there's no again, going back to something we were talking about before. Right. But there's no like pre-existing space of like, you know, the the perfect head drive. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's polluted from the moment. Right. You know, (laughs) presumably Duck's head drive also, you know, even though it becomes this kind of super consciousness with this alien artifact, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff that's going on. Right. Um, it, in its originating point, it is like half, half a clone of a human being's mental processes and half like <laughs> sock ads, right? Well, that's right? why it has a cryptocurrency, like, right? Like that is right. why, yeah, yeah, it yeah. feels like that is why Duck, Super Duck has a cryptocurrency is because it is the, it is the fusion of these two things yeah. in the most uncomfortable way possible. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that. It's I, I don't know. I think I think Super Duck as an idea and as like an execution is 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 actually really well. It's also just like gorgeously rendered. Oh my god, they made a fucked up looking bird guy. <laughs> yeah, they, they made did. the most they made the most fucked up looking bird guy I've seen in a minute. I look at that bird and I go, ooh. And you know what? That's a success. It looks 
squishy and not at the same time. It's gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love that. It looks like if you like, it looks like if you put, have you ever like grabbed an animatronic where you like felt the give? <laughs> no. And then, no. <laughs> Not Are you even out once. here like <laughs> trying to touch Chuck E. Cheese in the middle of the fucking no, jamboree? Yeah. The best, the best example I could get is like feeling. You ever grabbed a slimy country bear? <laughs> no, not even once. <laughs> well, uh, that makes one of us because it, it's like there's enough give to be like, ah, yes, yeah, soft. This is a material, and then there's just like. Not in the way that there is bone underneath flesh, because there's like there's less give, and it's a it's a quicker transition. Because with like human, you have to. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. No, I, I get a, what you're there's saying. There's a terminator under there. We, there's, we there's, get it. There's yeah, we're not flesh confused. and muscle. Uh, <laughs> well, with that, it's just like give and then metal, and like that. It is, would be much more terrifying if there were human bone under there. You know that, right? <laughs> that, that would be worse. <laughs> if, if there I were went flesh, and shook, shook, if there was yeah. flesh under the 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 skin of the animatronic, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be worse. Listen, I'm not saying it'd it's be that bad. Junji Ito story about the guy in the chair. That would be. I understand what you're trying to say, though. Like it's unsettling <laughs> when you're touching a thing that yes. uh, mm-hmm. has the sh- it, it is um, faking to have flesh, yes. but then like it just but, goes, and then you hit metal first. Like yeah, at the, yeah, that is what I feel like touching Super Duck would feel like. It's yeah, just like sure. squish and then immediate metal. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I did not think about this. Well, I didn't think what would it be like to touch this big old slimy bird. I didn't. I didn't well, consider that. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just built different. In parentheses, mm-hmm. I, yes. worse. <laughs> um, well, apparently you're out there grabbing every animatronic. Got a grip. Um, one of the other things I was really curious about is like this game feels like it emerges out of a very particular literary mode which is like relying on free and direct discourse and like the, I mean, it's like it's Southern Gothic, right. But it is like doing, leaning into that in a way that I think that a lot of things don't fail to, but it is like hitting that tone and that level of magical realism in a way that feels of a tradition in like a really, really um, like interesting and successful way. Um, I spent most of my academic career studying like the literature of the American South and like, boy, if you wanna if you wanna find a video game that fucking feels like it is pulled from like a feels like it's pulled from a forgotten Faulkner manuscript, let me tell you, fucking Norco, Norco is <laughs> has some bi- has some big as I lay dying energy, um, in that it is like weird and strange and leans into like aspects of magical realism, um, but is also like oddly funny, extremely funny extremely empathetic towards the characters that it knows are shitheads um, mm-hmm. and is like playing in a very particular literary mode exceptionally well. Yeah, uh, I didn't feel that way. I, really? I, I don't feel that way about it. Yeah. I I, I mean, I, I think that's probably true. I, you know, I didn't think that wasn't the first thing that came to my mind. I, I mean, for me, it really feels like um, the byproduct of a very particular moment in genre fiction. And right. That's just mm. my predilection showing up. My patience for Faulkner is very, despite having had to read a lot of Faulkner, my patience for <laughs> Faulkner is very, very low, low tolerance, uh, uh <laughs> low Faulkner amount in my blood. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know that they, you know, they, they're resistant to calling it a dystopia. I know that they've also been resistant to cyberpunk, but, 
geez, like some of the sections of this thing are just straight up. Yeah. You know, it's it's being on the spindle, right, in Neuromancer. Um, right. And, you know, I, I, I go back to these things not because they are, uh, you know, determinant in, in, in these things, but because they're so influential, right? Like they... They really have this kind of vibe to them. The, you know, there's also the the Gibson story, uh, getting out of the Gernsback continuum, which is this kind of haunting thing of like, you know, what if the retro future had come and passed us by? And, uh, you know, it, it, it has to do with what I was talking about earlier, this kind of like, because I think you're right. I think, you know, if there's one thing that... Um, that that it shares with i think the faulkner or, or like the southern tradition it's it's you know this kind of thing of like the world was once one way and now it's a different way right and there's uh especially in faulkner right there's a racialized past to that yes. right i mean you know faulkner um even though even if he personally doesn't feel this way there's a there's a lot of lost causey kind of stuff going on in those characters quite often you know yes. the fallen family um the wealth that once was all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, you know that is as i like dying yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, but there's something going on here with this kind of like melancholy tone of like what, you know, things could have gone a different way and they didn't, um, you know, things could have, there was this moment of, of the sea level rising and it could have taken a particular kind of shape. And, and what happened is that capitalism continued to eat things because that's how capitalism functions. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's something interesting going on where there's a, a, a mixing of literary traditions that ultimately resolve themselves not in in a literary tradition product, right? In mm-hmm. the sense that this is not trying to be a Faulkner novel. It's not no. trying to be a cyberpunk thing and is actively resistant to it. Um, but but it is trying to have a, you know, for lack of a better term, a vibe or like a series of affects, right? Or a series of legitimated affects of, uh, of like uh, – uh, justified rage uh, of melancholy of um, hope in, in some moments, you know, I think this is ultimately probably a pretty hopeful um, game, even if the hope is like, not the ones that necessarily we want. Like there, there is hope in the messianic cult, right? It just sucks. Like it's bad, but it does offer a future that is different from the, the future that most of these people would have had, you know, had they not been involved in that, you know, there, there's a, demonstration of the affective seductiveness of what it would be like to be involved in like this far right religiously oriented thing. Um, and, and the game is indebted or, or purposefully trying to work through that, right? Like what makes all these people who like, uh, I, I go back to that story that gets told in the thing where it's about the guy who goes to the punk club and he makes like a joke that's an off-color joke, and everyone's like, "You're a fucking Nazi, Nazi. dude! Shut yeah, up!" Yeah. And he and like he cannot take that feedback in a way that like makes him think about that. He can only revolt to it, right? And right. that like brings him into the Garrett's. Um, well, was and, that, and, that, know, was, that that was the, that is that Kenner John? John right? That is Kenner John. Oh, yeah, like, that right. is the fundamental right. gospel right. of that yeah. group of people. Is is oh, this one right. time where he gets fucking told he's being a weirdo, and then he got so mad that he that he starts this that he starts to think, and then, like, that's part of but where I'm like not a Nazi. Yeah, I'm just oh, but oh, <laughs> there was something interesting there too, though, because I think we see what can only be. I mean, to me, read as uh, like far right reactionaries at the very end of the mm-hmm. game for so the like yeah. actual far right reactionaries. The actual, yes, that right. Sits there and, and, and like there's kill this, goonch. There's this difference here being made that I think actually does tend to happen with people of like the interest in like uh, 
you know, finding meaning in things that gets people swept up into cults, like, and cult behavioral versus um, a different sort of uh, structure of, like, you know, the, like, actual, <laughs> like, I guess if we want to say actual Nazis, of, like, people who are mm-hmm. out there, like, fucking, uh, you know, going to like rifle camp in the fucking middle of the woods like like the scary ass shit like showing up at the very end like i was i was like i wasn't sure how to think about everyone calling them nazis and them not actually being nazis i was like okay what is it trying to say here but then the actual like people who the the the, like representation of like what like the base or like adam waffen like those types of like groups Mm -hmm. shows up at the end and you just kind of like talk to them and it's like chill until they shoot that one guy but you kind of make them shoot that one guy uh i i I like don't know it feels weird to try to consider race really in this game which seems odd given that it's in the south i think thinking back to yeah parts of uh what uh cam you were saying earlier about representations of the south that is another thing i think thinking back on it it felt like this was missing that even in like the suburban areas of Florida where I lived, there was still like, you know, the glades, like the, the, the slaves that were brought down for sugarcane farming and all that, like that, that's like, even though it's like not as known as like the plantations of everything above us, basically it still Mm -hmm. happened in Florida even. Right. And like this feels like it kind of does it, know what to do with that and just puts that to the side a little bit but it still like represents those people that are being um you know the like racist assholes that are like out there shooting guns and like getting ready for some sort of like race war or whatever like Mm -hmm. i feel like there's no way other way to read that group of guys with the like you know American, American flags flag and their fucking mask. masks. Yeah, yeah, that they and that that they fucking shoot someone at the at the drop of a, at the first opportunity they get. Yeah, the thing that yeah, I've been they're, thinking, and they're a PMC, right? I mean, they they are aren't they hired by by the Shield Corporation? Is that not true? No, no, they're just there. No, they're oh, just okay. there, which is one of the things that kind of felt right too. Like this is the way that mm-hmm. these groups will operate. They see a gathering of things and mm-hmm. like gatherings are easy ways to make chaos. Right. It's kind of like terrifying to think about just like the way that they'll show up to rallies that, that don't have anything to do with them, but they're, they're like, we're going to fuck some people up because we don't like what they're thinking. Right. right. What they right. think about. Yeah. Right. One of the notes is that they weren't there to fuck. Well, they were there to fuck up Papa, but they were actually close with Kenner John. That's why they shoot mm-hmm. um, the dude who holds up um, Kenner John's head. Is that like I think what's happening there is like the Tucker Carlson esque like Kenner John is giving a version of this message that is just coded enough that the dudes who are not in it are fucking obsessed with. Where they were like. He is right. doing the good work of making this palatable to this very particular group of the people. Ga- even the Garrett's think- were one mm-hmm. level of that. And then there were right. a, a second level of people that Kenner John actually reached, which is the second group. Right. right. Like, like, the, like the, the, those motherfuckers are looking at the Garrett's and being like, oh my God, these dudes are so corny. <laughs> but they are starting to buy the ideology. And this ideology is being sold to them very effectively by Kenner John. It's just going to take them some time. Like, I mean, you even see that in one of the Garrett's who joins, who is the dude you have to convince to 
uh, betray everyone by playing him voice memos of everyone mm-hmm. being like, oh, I sure do love weed. And then he's like, damn it, they do like weed. Fuck. <laughs> they play video games all day. My no. fucking Ubermensch shit is ruined. God yeah. damn it. Yeah. No, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, j- just as you're both saying, yeah, I mean, I think that this is a game that is deeply committed to being like, hey, it's not like... You know, these are not like a fantasy, uh, you know, creature who emerges out of nowhere, right? Right. Like everyone, they emerge from a social condition and they they have a a recruitment mechanism and all these different things uh, that happen. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a familiar narrative that, that goes on, right? I mean, the, the place that I'm from in Georgia that is where a couple years ago, several prominent arrests were made of like Boogaloo boys. Right. Right. Mm. Again, we're one of these kind of parasitic groups that just showed up to locations with, you know, ambient goals, uh, that are probably ill defined. Right. Um, and so, yeah, you know, and, and very much, uh, you know, the people I grew up with are, uh, you know, I knew lots of kind of white supremacist light people. Right. You know, the first time that I ever heard about like Rothschild's conspiracies was in high school from a peer. Right. Like that kind of thing uh, (laughs) is definitely part of like the water, um, you know, in, in the rural South. And so I did like that kind of like um, demonstration of, uh, I guess the different stages, right. Or or the different modes that happens. I actually had the exact same feeling that you did uh, that you were just talking about Kato about, uh, it, it was weird to me for this to be in the South and right again, I'm not from Louisiana, but for uh, it to be a game that is primarily about it seemed to be white people or people who pass as white um, because, right. I mean, even where I'm from in, in the South, uh, it is much more racially diverse than the, the cast of this, this game. And I think my, at the end of it, where I got to with that is like, well, this is, this is about one person's particular social circle right. and mechanism. And, you know, certainly where I grew up and, and even now, right. I mean, uh, white people can get, a, get by by only talking to white people. It, it <laughs> happens, right? right. <laughs> you know, it's not, not shocking to me that that would, would occur. Um, and it, it kind of makes the gestures outside of that feel a little bit more, um, well, not maybe more, but the gestures outside of that feel appropriate in the sense of like, oh, well, actually within the social group in this family group that this character runs into, um, they might only really get this narrative by reading about it in a book, right? Because they don't know any people who are directly impacted by it, which is not to make excuses for the game. You know, sure, I think that that's yeah. an appropriate critique to levy toward it. And also like where the the anyone who is a Latino, right? Like. Uh, like where are, there, are people from a vast number of migrant traditions, you know, yeah. Mississippi, uh, Northern Mississippi has a huge tradition of, um, you know, uh, of Mexican food, right. That's from this like crossover in the late 19th century, early 20th century, um, directly from migrants from Mexico. And like, where is that kind of like, you know, transformation that occurred in the South? But that's all to say, I think, you know, this is a window into a particular kind of experience right. and, um, you know, I but I am more interested in the the other game also yeah. too, right? That that leans maybe into that and maybe into more of the, you know, I use this word advisedly, but the more multicultural experience of what these places look like. Uh, um, I also, oh yeah. please, no, 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 just because uh, that would feel a little bit more placey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I yeah. think that yeah, the game tries in moments, and I think that to again lean on a Faulkner comparison, I think that. You to mention the lost cause earlier, right? And I think mm-hmm. that you know part of the work that that Faulkner as like a literary figure does is Faulkner is approaching the lost cause and trying to understand it 
and gets very close to understand. I, I did like a bunch of writing and uh, several classes on Faulkner and like gets as close as you as as one can get uh, to understanding the American South and the lost cause through like gets as close as you can get to actually understanding it through like a like a lens that understands what how race functions in this country. He gets as close as you can get to it and then fails. Uh, or at least in the very later novels, like is able to get at the core of the fear of the lost cause, which is that whiteness is fundamentally rooted in this like uncomfortable sense of grief and of a grief for a past that doesn't actually exist and that Faulkner is aware never existed. Um, most of his novels are predicated on on the the idea that this history is a false history and the retelling of it over and over again is the process through which identity is formed. Um, and so that's what I, throughout Norco, that's all I can keep thinking of in the ways in which the game is using narrative to basically, and using these characters to basically suggest to you that, you know, none of this is new, right? I think that the, one of the things that does well is basically looking at this history and being like, okay, cool, this history is fundamentally rooted in this place and is never the narrative that is being told. That's why I think that the academic critique early on rings very interesting to me because mm. it is kind of setting forward the standard that the narratives that you engage with here, the only real narrative is, is, is the one that is rooted in this perspective that you never actually see. Mm. Um, which I don't think is like an accomplishment that you never see it or do not see it enough, but it is interesting at the very least. I, I wish honestly that there had been more time spent with, uh, a little bit more time spent with Duck would have been nice because I believe like Duck has a very different relationship, I believe, to like racialization and to this space that like I found really interesting. And like, I also think the that the fact that your character is unfaced, like you do not get your character's face is is a weird aspect of this, like the 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 absence of racialization in this narrative and the absence of race throughout this narrative is 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 an interesting aspect of it because I believe um the game establishes that like Catherine is Cajun and mm -hmm. is and is like biracial uh or of mixed race. Uh and then Blue is we never see him long enough. And so it's it's very interesting to me that your character is kind of defaced in that way and mm -hmm. and you don't get that explicit interaction in the narrative. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's definitely left open. And and as soon as we like are given that you know, non-face at the beginning. I was like, oh, or is this game going to be playing with this in some kind yeah. of way? And I, and I think that's a thread that's left, you know, just left dangling a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah. For you to make your own determinations. But it's also the case of, um, you know, when you make a game in which uh, a racial racial capital kind of context is uh, appears, right? This kind of framework that it's working within. Um, leaving that ambiguity is also a place for whiteness just to creep back in. Right. Exactly. You, you know, right. it's a place for implicit frameworks to run into one another. And so, you know, I don't know, Norco two can deal with it or, you know, can think about it more heavily or they can choose not to. Right. I, you know, I don't think that, um, it, it is not on every single video game to think, uh, deeply about every single object, but I do wish they had, you know, maybe had a little bit more going on in this game around that. Um, because I think it's such a, a fertile ground to think about these things, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. you know, but, um, and you know, it's not the, you know, I've, I've levied some heavy critiques on Disco Elysium for precisely this reason, right? right. Of like bringing it up and then just not, in my opinion, not sinking the shot, um, or at least not dealing with it in a way that I would think, uh, was sufficient. And I, you know, maybe, maybe that's the saving grace here, right? Mm -hmm. Is that if they didn't feel like they were equipped to deal with it, 
you know, making sure that they're signposting that they understand that these things are here and are materially present, but not feeling equipped to, to do that. Maybe that's a place to um, think about in the future and think about hiring more people. Yeah. I am excited for what comes next for Geography of Robots. This game is fucking stellar as a debut. Absolutely obscene. Absolutely obscene <laughs> debut. God tier. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I think it was great. I think it was good. Um, yeah, let's keep it this length. That's right. my number one yeah. piece of feedback, Geography of Robots. Don't don't make a game good longer size. than this one. <laughs> good size. Great good size. Good game. Kato can play it last night and today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have finished it otherwise. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you. It's been a yeah. it's been a week, so. But this was a, yeah, this this was was a bomb to that week, I think. It, a a yeah, deeply yeah. saddening bomb. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the and this is a raw fury game too, right? Oh, I'm um, so soothed and sad right now. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just think you know I, I i always want to hold it out for you know the publisher who is like doing interesting stuff but i think raw fury has been putting out some really interesting things recently um and uh if if you haven't kind of dug through their publishing catalog you, you should you should check it out you should see the other stuff that they've they've done um you know they did sable uh they published sable they published nice, yeah i think one of the kingdom games maybe the original one or maybe the sequel um, but anyway, they are a publisher I, who I keep an eye on, and uh, I would encourage other people to too. Yeah. Well, I think that is a that is a good note to to leave us on. Uh, I think that this has been a very interesting discussion on Arc Demo. Do have any final thoughts at all, other than video game good and keep this video game the length it should be? Uh, game good. Game good. <laughs> game, good. Game, game good. Game good. Game great. Game fun. <laughs> game good game great game fun cameron where can the people find you uh at c kunzelman uh michael lutz and i uh do a bunch of different podcasts uh oh you can find me sorry on on twitter at c kunzelman <laughs> uh, sorry uh the uh but michael lutz and i do a bunch of different podcasts we do uh, a show on homestuck and and uh, critically thinking through homestuck kind of in order and situating it historically uh michael is like now reading like thousands of forum posts per episode to make sure Amazing. that we understand historically what occurred Incredible. that's homestuck made Doing this world you can find it <laughs> he, he truly is i'm just reading some sort of and you're only uh, doing interactive f- comic but he is he's doing the stuff but yeah homestuck made this world uh, you can find it on basically any podcast thing and um we do a show that is uh Working through Stephen King's work in publication order, we do a book a month, and there's some bonus odes attached to that where we talk about films. It's called Just King Things. We are uh, we just did Thinner, and we're going to be doing uh, Skeleton Crew coming up. So two two uh, big ones there. Uh, we just released a bonus episode for Thinner where we had Chip and Ironicus, the oh, LP duo. Nice, yeah, nice. Uh, we had them on the show to talk about Thinner, and when I asked them why they wanted to talk about that, they said, "Well, that was the only one that seemed interesting out of the options we gave them." So uh, that's why <laughs> they were on that episode as opposed to anything else. And uh, we do a bunch of other stuff too, but that's at Ranged Touch and uh, our uh, our show Mages and Murder Dads, which is working through the Baldur's Gate games and their lineage. That's about to start up again with Icewind Dale, nice. and then after that, at the end of the summer, um, we're going to start Too Much Future again, which is uh, we'll be going nice. through Fallout Four. So nice. uh, there's all that stuff. Oh, and Game Study Study Buddies, where we work through books of academic. Uh, game studies and hopefully make them accessible or, or give you a preview of them if you want to read them uh, and uh, it's for any kind of audience so if you listen to this show and you think hey I want to learn a little bit more about game studies but I don't know anything about it 
you should check out Game Study. Study Buddies will give you all that context you need. Um, and we've got like 40 episodes in the backlog. So there's like 100 hours of listening to us walk you through Game Studies if you want to do that. That's Game Study Study Buddies. And it is also anywhere that podcasts are hosted and listened to. Speaking to I that point it. of it being for like any audience, I do want to circle back to your Homestuck podcast, which I mm-hmm. love. Super awesome. If people listening to this, if you're not interested in Homestuck or in reading Homestuck, rather, you can still listen and should still listen to this it's, podcast. It's, it's, it's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then most impressively, they're they're covering all of Homestuck in only 13 episodes. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's never it's, been done before. Really, yeah. It's never been done before. No, no one has ever completed all of Homestuck in 13 episodes. It's really 13 incredible. Episodes. Yeah. 13, yeah. 13 full episodes of the show. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Easy. you'll find when you go to the feed. Yep. <laughs> no, qu- no question. I An think we're on episode 13. five right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can personally endorse all of uh, Cameron's work. It's it's really good. Listen to the listen to the podcasts that he does. They're very excellent. I also endorse my own work. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Easy. No question. No thought. Cotto, where can the people find you on Twitter? At a underscore Cotto underscore appears. Excellent. And folks, you can find me on Twitter at Ren or Raven. Godspeed gamers, and uh, spend some time thinking about the place that you live in.